From the Dice Abide Live studios, it's Late Night War Games with your hosts, Adam and John. Thank you, Jane. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam. You know me as the Dice Abide. I'm John, also known as Wise Kensai. And tonight, we are joined by the one, the only, the fan. Hi, folks. <laughs> the one, the only, the Nathan of many. <laughs> hey, hey, there's only one fan. There's, I was correct. It's true. We, we have reduced them all to different letters of the first name. To keep them all identifiable. Yes. It's convenient. We appreciate, well, we appreciate your collective sacrifice, fans <laughs> of the world. Like, there's so many Nates, like, Than just took what was left. Yeah. Um, well, Than, thank you for uh, joining this e- yeah, joining us this evening. Glad to be here. It's good. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for all the, the, the heavy year RPG info. Um, I've been doing my research by ignoring all of it, so it's a surprise to me. Uh, <laughs> that's my excuse. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Than, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight I have the Level Up. I don't know what's called, the Level Up. Let's play. It's a dry hopped pilsner. Uh, right they have on. a bunch of various old school video game themed cans. Yep. And uh, right. it's it's nice. I'm quite familiar with that one. How about you, John? Uh, my lovely wife made me a Negroni. Oh, Ooh, there fancy. you go. Classy. Yep. Um, well, I I went to uh, to New Seasons the other day and found my favorite old beer from when I lived in San Francisco. So I picked up a uh, pack of Anchor Steam. Mm, that's delicious stuff. It is so good. Well, gentlemen, cheers. 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 Oh wow! Brings me back to Mission Street, Doc's Clock, two o'clock in the morning. All right. John, kick it off with some news. All right. We're going to do the thing. Okay. So, uh, I actually remembered to make a <laughs> mission for this month. I'm like last month. Woo! <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, so, this month is basically take some close combat units and use them. So, the way I structured it is uh, pretend like you have the Predator classified. If your opponent is cool with it, just tell them you have the Predator classified, and it's all good. Um, close, close combat is a tool in Infinity, and oftentimes people will try to use close combat when it's not appropriate. Um, sometimes it is appropriate, so I, I give some examples of some battle reports where I think it is appropriate. Um, looking at specifically you, JSA players. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like... Use it when 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 it's when it's the right thing to do, uh, and part of this exercise is is to try a game to help you identify when that is, um, and it makes the most sense when you can actually like get points for doing the thing, right? So, that seems reasonable. Yeah, it is interesting. I think that uh, you know my stint playing JSA for a while has given me a a different perspective on close combat. Yeah. Even even with units that aren't exceptional in close combat. Like having a better feeling of when to use it as a tool. I think a, a good example um, for me are the um, wow. And I was just thinking about them, and I totally brain farted the name. Um, in uh, QK, the Icol negative nine, or it used to be Icol. Oh, Odalesks. Um, Thank yeah. you. Like I was looking at Odalesks just because they're you know NWI Spitfire platforms. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, oh, CC 18 with CC negative nine and a multi pistol. That's like, not bad. That's 
Yep. That's not bad. And again, something that's not great in close combat, like one dice on an 18 isn't terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is the units that do have the, the very high above 20s because yes. you're adding that extra onto your low dice. Yeah. So it makes it less likely you're going to flub a roll. It can be a lot more reliable, weirdly. Well, yeah, I mean, yes. look at it compared to like something that's like, let's say, CC 22 and MA2, right? You're going to yeah. put them down. It's going to be one dice on a 15 versus one dice on a 15. Yeah. Well, or I mean, it is incredibly swingy, as we've seen. Like, so, uh, yeah. Grizzly Troll is telling us, you know, maybe we should do another Mortal Kombat show with Will, which I think we should. Um, yeah. But uh, from from that show, we've learned that you can have two CC monsters, and then, like, one will just roll better in the moment, and that will be that. So it's, you don't really learn anything from that. It's really just, like, I guess the key learning is that it's incredibly risky. Sometimes it's worth it, though. Uh, my my personal favorite example at the moment is attacking a totally immune model, right? So sure. all of Norkius's stuff is kind of turned off when you go fight Sanze, but you're still burst two, and you can still crit because your CC score is monstrous. Yeah. So if you need to do multi wounds to a multi moon model that has total immunity, that's the way to do it. And that oh, is sure. in fact what I did in one of my battle reports. So I think things like that are a good example for when it's useful. Obviously, this scenario doesn't arise all the time because you may not have Yujing or you know combined in your meta, um, but there are things that that make sense. Uh, sometimes you can just throw something under the bus to buy, you know, like do the Warhammer 40k, like tie it up in a tar pit sort of thing for a few orders, and that makes sense. Sure. So um, yeah, like McMurder is a good example too. Um, although sometimes it is very swingy, right? A Beast Hunter will punk McMurder, and I've seen that happen too. Anyway, it's a tool. Um, I'm I'm just trying to suggest a structured way for you to get a game in that uh, that lets you try it and get rewarded for succeeding. Yeah, encourages you to to experiment. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what Bromad Academy is all about. Okay, speaking of Bromad Academy, uh, so we us uh, Bromad Academy, and then of course uh, Renee Lara over at War Garage. We have a new painting contest, uh, Doctors and Engineers. So go check out uh, that. And of course, this this show is going to be about uh, we're going to do heavy gear RPG, and we're also going to do the Roman Academy uh, paint judging the show too. So stay tuned to the end when we do all that. But yeah, doctors and engineers. I sorry, go ahead. I would say the most the most specialized of specialists. Yep, uh, I I'm going to allow paramedics because seems fine. If you throw a tech B in there, I won't be sad either. Right. I was going to say it gives Pano a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. So, you know, paramedics are fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be super super fussy about it. If they have the medikit gun, like you're good. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I would say paramedic as long as it's visibly a paramedic. Yes, there you go. So right. If if they don't make a paramedic profile for a model that you want, convert it. Well, I don't know if I can enforce that, but at the ju- at, when we judge them, you can judge them harshly. How's that? There you go. Okay. You'll, you'll be judged harshly by me. Yep. Uh, other infinity news. We've got all the releases, right? So these are there's a bunch of like those like uh, triple yeah, the, packs, the booster packs that they're they're calling them, right? Yep. The the two the the was it the, the ALF uh, Steel Phalanx booster pack mm-hmm. and the Hakazlon booster pack. So the Hakazlon booster pack is all uh, repacks. The ALF booster pack is all new sculpts. Yep. They're rad sculpts. So that's what the Makai missile, Akmon, yep. and uh, Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a burly pack. But that's not Phoenix. Um, I mean, those are all, huh? I don't think that's Phoenix, is it? Isn't isn't it? I don't remember now. Dang I don't it. remember now. It's, it's the Makai it like Akmon. It looks like a combi. That might be like. Akmon. I'm brain farting now. 
Oh, you know what? I think it is Mike Young. Yeah. Um, yep. And then the new daughter, Ozzy, which, uh, you know, at first I, I kind of balked at the price tag, and then I did a quick size comparison mm. using their bases reference. They're huge. Yeah. These are going to be like they're they're, they're bigger just chalk than monsters. Yeah, they're like bigger than orcs, bigger than than uh, Pano power armor. I mean, they're roided out morats, right? Yeah. What do you want? There's <laughs> huge roided out morats. Yeah. Um, the meteors on looks hot. Yes, it does. I'm sad that I have the old one because I don't know what to do with it now because that new one is so cool. <laughs> right, right. Oh, it's so hot. Yeah. Um, and then we got the new, the new Hulang. Uh, the Hulang with uh with the new with the new koalas actually that actually look like koalas. I, I am sad that this exists because I converted my own and it is so cool. I'm gonna have to buy this one. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm like really half tempted to buy two of them for extra koalas, which is totally pointless. But well, not pointless. I use, I use quite a few. Huh? Such a good profile. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a coward. <laughs> buy three. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Um, but like I use a lot of koalas in my JSA. Sure. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. When you're running More double your eye, you will use a lot of koalas. That's true. Or Yojimbo and then Oyori. Yep, yep. Um, Lunakads and Morans and, and Nomads, so I get it. Yeah, or, I mean, or my uh, Starco. Yeah. So. Also true, also true. Um, if, you, models, if you aren't fancying Infinity because you're a heavy gear player, that's why you're here. There's also the DreamPod 9 online store spring sale 2023. I can yeah. read. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, there's there's uh, they're selling books. Uh, starter boxes, uh, Jovian War stuff. Go buy some Jovian War stuff either from DP9 directly or from Shiv. Um, and there's uh, the Heavy Gear Fleet Scale Miniatures as well, which is like the you know uh, land ship thing, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. Um, yeah, I want to try that one of these days. Buy more. Yes, buy more hunters. You need more hunters. And then you can yeah, exactly, convert exactly. them to what, assault hunters, right? Or the, uh, the armored hunters? Yeah, the armored hunters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, their uh, their starter boxes too. If it's a if it's something that you've been looking at, their starter boxes are very playable. Yeah, as yeah. far as most games are concerned, like you get tons of options, and like I just basically run my northern starter box as an army and lots of different variants. Right. So, as far as like value for dollar, this is probably yeah, oh, good. absolutely. <laughs> I, it's uh, actually a very nice uh, way to start the game, and if you buy in with a two-player one and you and your buddy, I think it's quite quite reasonable. You guys will have a blast, and it's reasonably balanced too. Um, again, you know, we've said this in previous episodes, but if this is your first time joining us, if you get into heavy gear, don't freak out about all the weapon options. There are a lot. That's yeah. okay. Assemble the base chassis with no guns. And then just like use scraps of paper or like, you know, um, uh, Sharpies or something on an unpainted base. Just be like, the red one's the guy with the bazooka. And then, you know, you'll be good to go. Just try out the profile, see what you like. And uh, before you glue anything, or if you're a crazy person like Frank, you can magnetize. You can uh, also use Elmer's glue. Or a glue oh, that's stick. very just smart. Like a little gentle tack, and then you can easily pop it off. Yep. So. Look at look, this. This is all you have on you on the show, fan. You're so smart. <laughs> uh what else no, we got going on we've got the uh punga infernal forks yeah so you know i i thought that i don't know how many halfling teams i'm up to now is enough but uh apparently i need one more 
So <laughs> I'm going to be getting these 3D printed. Uh, yeah, Chaos Halflings. What what else could you possibly want? About yes. to ask, am I looking at Chaos Halflings? I'm looking at Chaos Halflings. You're looking sure. at Chaos Halflings. That's pretty yeah, rad. In the Infernal Forks. They're, they're perfect. There's no notes. Like <laughs> No notes. Chef's kiss. Give it to me now. <laughs> yeah. Take my money. Here's my wallet. I can't wait to see the second too. half. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty great. But yeah, that's it for the news this week. Yeah, despite being the beginning of the month, pretty light in the news. I was a little surprised. Taking that up. Well, that just well, means more time. To, hmm? Actually, uh, we should announce hmm. that uh, there were some scheduling conflicts. Uh, we were supposed to do a Warcrow Adventures Q&A with Hoopoo uh, this morning, Eastern time. Sorry, Pacific time. We're going to do it tomorrow morning at like 7 a.m. Pacific. So that's like 10, 15-ish, 10, 10 to 10, 15 Eastern in the U.S., which is like there for 4 o'clock or something yeah, in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a short night for Adam and I in <laughs> early morning, uh, but we're excited to, to chat with her and uh, bring you all the content. So we'll, of course, record it if you can't make that time. Uh, I know I've certainly uh, got other responsibilities that my wife is taking over because she's awesome. Uh, <laughs> we only pick the best times to stream. Oh, I know. Exactly. Right. It's either late at night Pacific time or early morning Pacific time when everybody is at work. But yeah, we'll record it. Uh, it'll be in podcast form. So it'll be uh, a weird schedule. We'll be back two weeks from now as normal. Just wanted to be upfront with that. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have a 7 a.m. show, like 7.15, probably get started. A special show. Special, special show, show. Early morning war games. Yep. <laughs> Very late night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. You lost to the sun, as we used to say in college. I mean, it's, it's late night somewhere. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, let's get to, uh, to talking about our toys. Let's do it. It's all right, then you're up first. What are we looking at here? Um, so I finally started getting around to pulling apart some of my Caprice models and putting them back together with the uh, resin legs I got. So oh, nice. Um, Caprice, for anybody who doesn't know how this works, DreamPod9 gives you enough torsos or enough legs. Um, they give you twice as many torsos as legs on the sprue. Yeah. Um, so what you can do is they also will sell you additional resin legs at I think they're like five or six bucks a piece. They're very affordable. Yeah. I mean or, or when you set up for yeah when you when you buy yeah. anything Caprice that is of this nature, just buy some resin legs. Um, yeah. again another pro tip is uh, for the unarmored legs for things like Aphex um, don't use the resin legs, use the plastic ones. because uh, those generally have less mold defects um and yeah. then the resin legs you put the armor plating on to hide the defect yeah so I, I was pretty lucky with this set it was nice and smooth but um excellent i have to do any green stuffing yeah i finally am pulling some apart and basically using up the rest of the legs that i've had sitting in a bag for years um decided <laughs> to make a couple of the uh affect barrages because I really like that um, salvo rule. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this here is a customized Hammoth. Um, the existing model's fine, but I'm kind of playing a more, um, I guess, I guess niche sort of mm -hmm. list, where I have the idea that essentially they're kind of like a, uh, a corporation that's been given rights to land on Terra Nova and is using mm -hmm. kind of off-brand or, or last-gen tech that's mm -hmm. been worked up to modern standard 
So I've got a lot of junk and kind of weird weapon placement on a lot of my models, and I decided to just go ahead and build one. Uh, yeah, build my own that's Hammoth. great. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it needs a little green stuff still, but using some of those resin legs and just all the bits from the other ones to put it together. Um, it's a profile that I will not run every game, but I will run sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, anytime that I want to be able to drop some infantry somewhere annoying. Like, it's not the fastest transport, but it has climber, which is great on a transport. And it has an RL, L, um, LR... LRC. LRC, yeah. Yep. So that's yeah, pretty helpful. Isn't a bad gun. I think it might even have React Plus. I think so. Most things do. I would have to double check yeah. that. Um, you know, also being able to get Growl allies uh, sure. and put them in a transport that you don't have to also get as an ally is kind of nice. So mm-hmm. uh, you can get it as a GP. I play the corporate uh, sublist. So that also lets me put my commander in any model and count it as GP. So I'll put it in an oh, yeah. or, you know, just have this yep. giant heavy support thing that is suddenly walking around as. Uh, general purpose or even special operations, put it with a bunch of frogmen right. or paratroopers and be like, This is my special operations squad, yep. the giant tank, and some guys on foot. So I just checked it was stable, not React Plus. I remember it had some way okay. to get extra dice, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun little GP model to bring. Very cool, yeah, right on. Uh, well, I uh I guess kitbashed or or converted Mary problems. I didn't really do all that much work. Thank you again to more different Nathan, aka Yokelups, uh, who three D printed me a bunch of skateboards. Um, when I saw the original <laughs> original limited edition Mary problems pose, a huge improvement over the original. So big thumbs up, Carver's belly. Um, B, I was like, but she's she's like on that's like the perfect skateboard pose. Definitely so, Tony Hawk. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, we had to we had to do it. So, um, yep. Uh, I also put together the Bakunin pack that they sent uh, along with um, uh, the uh, Dire Foes. So you can see uh, Robin Hook there and uh, the Mother Agatha, I believe is her name, mm-hmm. right? Uh, with the enormous trench hammer. Um, Constantinus went to Adam, so I didn't put him together. Um, I didn't put together all of the Moira because I have the original box and I. God, I need to finish painting them before I have more. Seems unlikely <laughs> that I'll run two Moira HMGs and two Moira uh, MSRs. I might, but not right now. That's like a shiv list. Yeah. If someone would. I mean, I will run triple Sin Eater MSR maximumship. I will do that. <laughs> That's good. You'll you'll see that on a table near you. Sorry, not sorry. Oh. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I, I figured I'd save if I don't need the profile because I have a copy of the model, maybe an older edition or something. I generally save it in case there's a conversion opportunity that comes along. So I've assembled everything that I'll use. Um, the penitent in the back is really fun too because uh, it has a plus one burst EM LGL. And we all know how much I love that, which means it's burst three on tens when you're in cover out to twenty four. So that's also coming to you soon. Um, Wait, is it linkable? It is linkable in Harris. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, it's happening. Uh, it can come with a, it can come with a, uh, those orphan engineers for like 18 points or something. It's very affordable. Uh, and then uh, CB sent us that plastic Marut to review. I will say that uh, the sword did snap on me in my model case today when I took it out oh, to play a game. Really? I glued it back together. Not the sword part. It snapped at the handle, which is oh, where you would expect it to snap, right? 
Yeah. Uh, the sword part is fine. It's flexing just okay. So what I ended up doing is it looks a little odd, but I mean, the, the giant HMG is so giant, you're not really going to look at the sword in any way. Uh, so I ended up uh, supporting it at two places. It's actually glued to that base now. So it's glued, oh, at, sure. the, it's glued at the hand, uh, the handle and also yep. uh, at the base. So that helps a little bit. And then um, while I was How'd at you... Shiv... Hmm? I was like, How did you find assembling the new plastic? Oh my God, so easy. Uh, yeah. so like, you know, everybody's got, uh, one of these, uh, zip kicker spray things, right? Yeah. Hopefully you do typically. So the trick is you, you, you get two of them, you use one until it's done. And then you have like, maybe like half a finger worth in there and then you take it off and then use the dropper part to, to actually, uh, mm -hmm. touch the thing. You don't have to do it with the, with the plastics at all. Really? It just sets? It just sets. So that means yeah. you don't have much time. Okay. Oh, Sure. Uh, so, so sort do you time. do dry fits first, right? Don't, don't just like assume it's going to work, dry fit everything first, make sure that all the stuff is that you want to file off or, you know, shave off or cut off is off, right? Be done, dry fit everything you can. And then just a little dabble do you, it'll just stick. So that was really, really straightforward. And then, uh, while I was at Shiv last weekend at the tournament, um, given that I have a root now. I was like, well, I guess I'm playing vanilla Aleph now. So I bought the proxy boxes, and here we are. Um, <laughs> I will use the proxy Mark III. I played a game today. Uh, we'll just talk about that more later. Uh, but I, I kind of am liking the proxy Mark III, just like on, on the surface of it, which is weird. Also, Eudorus is a boss. Um, yeah, Eudorus is a boss. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the Mark III. It was just bad compared to the four and five initially, but when they reworked it slightly, like it just didn't, it didn't need much of a just need a little tap to be fine. I mean, it's AP Spitfire now, 6-2 move. I mean, I would love well, Mimetism on it. Sure, but you can't have everything. It's still really cheap. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's like 25 points and one and a half swick, I think. So, not bad. Yeah, not I, bad. It, it's 23 uh, one and a half swick for an armor 4 heavy, 6-2 heavy infantry with an AP Spitfire. Yeah. And NWI. Yeah, three, it's not. It's not bad. Two. It's just you know, I see I see people poo poo it all the time. Um, oh, it's it's a straight two wounds now, not NWI. Okay. Yeah. So, I I'm gonna use it. I I found I really wished. I mean, I was shooting at a Shang Shang Jesus link in White Banner, um, and I just couldn't bring it down with Eudoros, and I was like, I really wish I had AP right now. <laughs> that was that was my problem. But anyway. Sure. Yep. Yeah. What are you? Uh, what are you, Adam? Yeah, so um, I made Jeff sell me Ariadna, so I picked up a uh, I picked up an extra uh, Pavel McManus to convert into a Scout a Hutnik, hmm. which was pretty straightforward. Um, I replaced the backpack with the spare tank hunter backpack that I had. Okay, okay. time out, time out. So technically, yes, it's straightforward. So I, I knew this gentleman that was a pig farmer, and he asked us to read a guide on how to set up like you know a pig enclosure, and his girlfriend at the time. Uh, you know, read it and gave the feedback. This is unusable. And he said, he said, what do you mean? I, I was very proud of it. I thought that it was uh, very easy to read and understand. And I had clear pictures and explanations and reasoning. And I, I worked really hard on this. And I thought that, uh, I thought that, it, you know, it was well, very well constructed. And, and his girlfriend said, no, no, no. You, all those things you just said are absolutely true. It's very well written. I, I found uh, that I could understand exactly what I would, what I would be doing and why but I cannot do the things you're asking me to do. He said, what do you mean? And she says, I cannot bend rebar with my bare hands. Right. And so, so this is, this is of that 
quality. So straightforward, <laughs> sure. I mean, like you added a hood, that's straightforward, but you know, it's not exactly easy well, to do that. Yeah. So I, I I started off by filing down his head, except for this part. Um, that way it would counteract the bulk of adding green stuff around it. Yep. Um, so that it would be a thinner material instead of, you know, wearing like a massive uh, balaclava. Um, sculpted the balaclava on, and then, yeah, and then I did the hood over the top of that. Um, the backpacker, he has kind of a, a narrow back, like single set, like a sash almost. Um, so I had to get put in a, an additional shoulder strap. Um, so yeah, I had to sculpt the shoulder strap and then uh, position the backpack and fix some of the wrinkles on the back to look appropriate. So. <laughs> kind so of, that's wait. seven steps. So yeah, just simple seven steps. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just the trick is just waiting for the previous step to dry or to cure. And have decades but, of experience sculpting green stuff. But, you know, yeah, that's that, too, that that's helps. Um, but pretty happy with it. I love that profile. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, and and you know, credit where credits due, it looks completely different than Pavel sculpt. So if you put them side by side, and you did that for me at at the during our game. Uh, yeah, it it was it the. I, it's like so you know one of the one of the things that we're we're our neural nets are trained to recognize is this silhouette like like you see it right in the screen right now it's like my shoulders and my head and this breaks it up and therefore it looks distinct it's dis distinct so yeah exactly Obi's like yeah like whatever it's easier yeah <laughs> speaking <laughs> speaking like, of <laughs> sorry go kudos ahead. too for making a model that most games may just spend the entire game as a camel marker like. That, that that is the thing with like Shazvasti and Ariadna, right? Like you can actually get by with just one or two models because for, for those profiles that you're going to run three or four of, because a lot of them are only going to be on on the board while they're dropping a mine and then recamoing. <laughs> right. But, part of it, like I've spent way too much time converting Ariadna. I have, I believe, every I've converted every missing profile in US Ariadna. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've also converted every missing profile that I needed for vanilla. <laughs> That's true. And now that I'm now that I'm dabbling more in vanilla, I find myself being like, oh, I can make that. Yeah. When 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 you get tired of it, I'll 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 give it a new home. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Speaking of ridiculous easy things to do, there's this. <laughs> the big deal um okay no so uh they're they're playing middle earth um mesbg so middle earth strategy battle game um at shiv games and that's a game that i've been wanting to play for ages but i also know my capacity to build and paint models and i love converting them and don't have a lot of time to paint so i figured out that fangorn kind of fills that gap perfectly it's only five models and painting trees is pretty straightforward uh, but it gives me a lot of opportunity to convert. So, yeah, I've got um, uh, Treebeard, of course, in the middle, Quick Beam from Forge World in the back left, but the other three are all convert progressively more and more converted, too, uh, as I assembled them. Uh, so I did the back right one first. I just kind of, like, redid the face and fixed the joins a little bit because I had, like, ball socket joins, which to me were very jarring on a tree. <laughs> And then I did the front left, 
um, because I needed to have um, Beachbone, who is the tree that was burnt by the orcs and riled up all the other uh, Ents uh, into a frenzy. So That's the one on the right, right? Yeah, it's the one on the right. Did I say left? You said left. I also don't know my right, my left still. Stage left. Um, yeah, exactly. Stage left. Um, <laughs> so uh, I converted him to be burning and then reading you know, the, the description of Beachbone um, in the books is kind of like a, a gentlemanly, handsome ant. So I gave him like a, lo- a big, long, curled mustache and a, a trend. off the ant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I had fun sculpting his screaming and agony and uh, face uh and then yeah did a lot of green stuff to reposition the body to to be running um and then to push it further i decided to go for more movie reference and i found this really bizarrely shaped ent that was in the movies um very briefly and it had kind of like a big fat dumpy lower body um with skinny arms it's it's a pear ant yeah, 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 basically. Um, and kind of a pained expression on its face. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, so, um, believe it or not, every part of the... So I, I used epoxy sculpt to sculpt the majority of this. Um, there are indeed the tree ant legs inside that epoxy sculpt. <laughs> uh, I ended up using it as an armature. Um, and then have a couple of the roots sticking out just because it was pre-already sculpted roots. Yeah, convenient. Um, don't have to do it. Yeah, exactly. I guess there's no plastic in the lower part of the body, um, and that's all just sculpted out of epoxy stuff, epoxy sculpt. Uh, and then I use the upper part of the body um, in the back, and then the arms. So it, it looks amazing. Horrifying to consider is that it vaguely looks like it has Dutch elm disease, which I oh. guess it <laughs> could probably get. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but then you went ahead and painted them. Yeah, so I've got quite a bit of painting done on them so far. Um, and so I wanted to use them to get a hang of the Vallejo Express colors. Mm-hmm. And I love the Vallejo Express colors. They're probably my favorite paints now. Um, I like to paint translucently uh, for, for the people that, that paint. It's indir- you know, indirect painting. Um, so that's where you start off with an underpainting and then build up layers of of uh, translucent glazes over the top to build value. Um, it's it's basically the idea that the slap chop method is is doing but giving a silly name to. Um, starting with underpainting and building up the colors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I used uh, various shades of greens and browns uh, to, to build up different textures and colors on the works. Now I just have to go back and basically do leaves and a few details and they're good to go. Some steel wool on the burning. So when's, when's your first game? Yeah, right. So it's a, it's at the end of the month. <laughs> there you go. I'm I'm learning the game the easy way by picking the five model army. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure well. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I'm sure it won't be difficult at all to learn a game by playing an army unlike any other army. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Although like, you, you almost got me when you told me I could just play the ring race and be done. You can. And they're I, really I know. damn good. It's real tempting. It's only nine models on and they're super easy to paint. Being GW, I assume they're like forty dollars a piece. Yeah, probably. 
there's there's really good STL files for the ring wraiths. I, I mean, I'm just assume it's one of the most made models ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Not hard to find a ring wraith. Yep. Oh man. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I think that wraps up hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Time to talk about games. I like to do games. That's what I like to do. So, John, do you want to kick it off? Kick it off. Oh, I'll let our guests go first. Oh, okay. There we go. Cool. Our notes um, are in the wrong order. <laughs> when you write games, you don't play games very much. But I, I have. Um, it's been a busy little while, but I did manage to play a game a couple weeks ago, actually against John, um, and also sort of working with Eric Worth. So John did an insane thing of having a eight foot wide table, which makes two infinity games and just playing against two people at the same time. Um, he likes that. We'll, I, we'll I, talk more about I that. I really like that. It's actually, it's really you actually almost won both games. Um, you did, let's see. I think I, if I remember correctly, I think I won ours by the classified basically. You did. Uh, I basically realized that I made a mistake and I should not have gone for the classified. I should have denied you to classify the orc that was in position yeah. By killing crit from behind, and then I had an opportunity to get like some random thing, so I could have gotten instead instead of getting nano espionage, I could have killed crit, and then uh, sat on crit for capture, and that would have done it. And I had the orders, and it, and it would have been a back shot. I just that that's exactly that's but this is exactly why I think uh, dual games are important, because had I been <laughs> playing you, uh, sing like alone, right, without the additional pressure of playing Eric. Um, I would have seen it, uh, and I would have done it, but I didn't see it because I was also trying to fend off his Shazvasti. Um, and I think that's good training for a tournament when you're under emotional and time pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, don't know how much I can really say about, about the game a couple <laughs> weeks ago, but um, Naga Sniper from all the way across the table. Yeah, that was profile, statistically unlikely. It's... Uh, it took out crit, Truth. and then uh, stopped your high dow for a, qu- a couple of orders. Um, yep, yeah, I think it was four orders I had to put into it with high dow to just to get it to dogged, mm-hmm. and then I was like, and I took a wound in the process. Yep, lost crit. Uh, I was playing in Imperial uh, Invincible Army. Um, I thought about trying to change and I was like, eh, I'm not going to do that. Um, I definitely, probably. I think I focused about the right amount, but I almost focused too much on dealing with Dart early. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a good conversation topic at some point. What is the profile that you hate more than it deserves? And Dart is oh, that for me. That is a because good conversation topic. I have had games where Dart has just... I. It's a good profile. It's not the best profile, but it's a good profile. Mm-hmm. I've had games where she's just gotten behind my line and just killed everything. Sure. Like... I, if I remember correctly, I lost more than 200 points to her in a game against uh, Nate Kapke. Um, he just, he, he got up, on, I was doing the Guaylo Lieutenant, he got up on me and killed me and then got on my back line and just like anything that wasn't a camel marker got wrecked. Right. Um, so because of that, I kind of, I spent like three or four orders like digging her out and lining up a shot with triangulate fire to try and kill her early. Um, she was up on top of the plane wing and just in a really good position to do work if she had got through. Um, I think the thing that 
so I got statistically unlucky on the Naga, but I got statistically lucky with a uh, the drop troop. The uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. The one with explosive. Yeah. So I was able to get one of them on just this little corner that you just by bad luck didn't have any line of fire on, and I think it killed like three or four of your curators. Uh, it oh. it got it classified, but was and, uh, and tried to kill got... one of my um, Fugazi, but wasn't able to. And then I tried to kill with a Garda and was also unable to. And then you dodged it. And it was a hacker, so I couldn't just like walk the Garda in. <laughs> yeah, so it actually got two classified. We were playing highly classified. Yeah, it got, got two, two classifieds because it was able to um, like net map. Undermine, I think it was. Yeah, net undermining or something. Like... Yeah, yeah. And then like ID the target. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Um. Yeah, which I think if we talk about Robin Hood, uh, Robin Hook later it is another example of a model that like you're not going to use it necessarily every game, but I don't know. I really like the way Infinity has these profiles where it's like, okay, I'm bringing this. I'm not necessarily going to use it for what it's absolutely best on, sure. but there is a percentage chance that there's going to be a, a situation that's perfect for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mutts being another example like that, right? Where it's like most of the time, this mutt's just going to get shot. Most of the time, this Ermandino is going to get gunned down before he gets anywhere. But he's cheap enough that That's I can fine. throw him out there. Yeah. And if I get lucky, it'll get through. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, games. I've also been running Werewolf the Apocalypse for some friends, which has been fun to take a little 90s nostalgia trip. Um, and, of course, playtesting heavy gear. So, um, But that's me for games. What about you, Adam? Well, uh, I got wrecked by you uh, playing our mission for Infinity, um, which I didn't have any photos of, but I was hoping you might have. Um, I definitely and, did. Yeah, so this was <clears throat> my first time. My first time playing TAC in N four, um, using a lot of tools and maybe not necessarily uh, c committing in the ways I should have and, and not paying close enough attention to the mission when writing my list. Um, but yeah, we played the, uh, we played the, the, uh, the space station table uh, to try to speed things up. We played without the, we played without the roofs, um, which I think caused a lot of playability issues and we will not do that again. Yep. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> but Kind of essentially what happened here, we're looking at it from John's perspective. The main objective was in the center of the table. Yeah, there, there it is here. I, th I think this is more illustrative, right? So so you can see the main objective, like smack dab in the center of the table. You can actually just look at it here, right? Uh, but yeah. from your side, the beacon in the middle is completely invisible. <laughs> you can't yeah. see it. Like even with infiltrators, there wasn't mm -hmm. a position for me to, to set something up to, to have line of sight to it. Um, or if there was a spot where I could get line of sight to it, it was out in the open uh, mm -hmm. with no cover and easily uh, easily removed. So I had all these great long range tools and no way to deliver them, um, which is funny because when I was making the list, I thought about doing a more short range list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I did not pick that poison. It is a good yeah. argument though for um, in a tournament setting to build lists 
if you know if possible build all of your list to handle all of the missions and then pick yep. based on the uh, the table setup right which is a strategy that some people prefer uh, well i mean here's here's your list right so pavel tank hunter missile Vasily t2 sniper uh as the lieutenant smith's yep. his hmg uh a three man of vet kazakh APHMG, line kazakh fo kazakh doctor double ermandine bro uh, the uh, dual heavy pistol Ariadne Beast Hunter, that's group one. Group two is Comrade Batard, a uh, scout FO, and then double tractor mule because you can take them without a dozer now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, lots of yeah. lots of long range. Uh, yep. You know, if, if Carmen was in the first group, that probably also would help quite a bit. I mean, I think I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make, right? Mm-hmm. They, they they do this kind of thing where where you have where you have Carmen or something like Carmen in a smaller group. So if we take a look at my list, for example, this is the opposite, um, where I have Carmera is basically you know the Carmen equivalent in Forgo. Yeah. So that's being powered by a full seven orders, right? So that sure, sure. allows me to use it if I need to. And then group two is a smaller one where all of my infiltrators are 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 in the smaller group. Also, the Pathfinder is there for because uh, it can sort of power itself with its tackle bear. Because you generally only need to use like spend spend one order maybe on it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's it, the difference. Um, just thinking about it, you had had she be if she had more orders, it would have been great. You mm-hmm. correctly uh, took two orders out of that pool. Yep. So she was basically reduced to three orders. Uh, and she was still able to do quite a bit in that three orders, but man, it would have been great to have five. Uh, I mean, I I think I think that was you know I haven't written the battle report yet. I've only done the photo editing. Yeah. But basically, you spent the first few orders like rolling in on me, and then you did get a chain ruffle down on Valkyrie and a bolt missile launcher, which is good. Period. Right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they both dodged, uh, and Avicenna's there, and you're not going to crit with a crit with the chain rifle, so. Yeah, you know the bolts getting back up, and you did not know that I had a crockman multi sniper on the other side of the table that had a shot on this, which I set up intentionally, right? Sure. To to deal with this exact problem. Um, yeah, yeah. You had but, you had brutal firing lane, or at least for ARO firing lane. Yeah, I really did, and it was all like super high quality stuff, like TO snipers and linked bolts. Yeah, um, with marksmanship. But I, I think I think a, a stronger play here would have been to castle up uh, Batard and Carmen, like where the speech bubble is. This says, "Come on, Batard," mm-hmm. um, and so they're just chilling back there. And then you can like you know move the scout fo around or something, and that would have been stronger. Um, sure, sure. Because then, then yeah, like yeah, from... I have to go deal. I I can't leave it alone. Yeah. Right. So I have to go deal with it, and then you and then they're not exactly pushovers in ARO either. Right, they dodge well and they can like throw trench hammers and stuff. So, um, yeah, I was I probably kill them with Valkyrie, but maybe lose Valkyrie in the process. Sure, I mean, I was really going for that sniper to hope to get rid of one of your firing lanes. Sure, yeah, um, and that was the that was the tool I could deliver mm-hmm. with just using its own orders. Sure, um, yeah, but which might also be part of the trap of the group too, because yeah. you're like. I got to get something done with this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially when I, when I hit you with a, with a, with a two order hit on that, it feels really bad. And then you have this sort of incentive. Like I've heard this so many times um, uh, from the, from the player going first, the sentence is always, I have to kill something. 
Sure. You yeah. you don't. Yeah. You you have to do the mission. Yes. And you know your group two. If your group two uses its two orders to be like walk up, press a button, well, recap. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's getting rid of that useful. sniper was critical for me to do the mission. Though. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um. I mean, I would argue that it wasn't, right? So so for those of you who don't know what, uh, so you may not have heard of this critical mass mission before. It's a mission that I made up yeah. uh, thanks to inspiration from Pete and Obi, right? So credit where credit's due. It was their idea. I just, I always want to root it up. Um, basically, the general idea is a beacon in the center of the table. It represents where the space pope is going to land. The space pope was flying over in Shepard 1, right? So it's a play on Air Force 1. Mm -hmm. um, basically, so he's flying over. The nomads hack his spaceship, and then like he gets pooped out the back. And he's going to land exactly where the beacon is at the top of turn three. He then becomes the HPT for both players, and you can like, you know, HPT espionage him or like whatever you need to do. Uh, and then yep. you won't get points for like civivacking him and running away. Um, you also get points for securing the quadrant which the space pope beacon is in for the first two turns. Mm -hmm. um, and you can actually move the beacon around by forward observing it or spotlighting it. And the weird thing is that. Um, you can spotlight you can you can spotlight it out of line of fire with a repeater, for example, mm -hmm. and you can also forward observe it out of line of fire. Uh, like if you have an angle that your for the forward observer can see the beacon and I can see the beacon, but I can't see the forward observer. Oh right? sure, yeah. Um, however, if I see the beacon with the forward observer, I can face to face you, even though if I can't see your model that's currently activating. So yeah. it breaks yeah. it breaks arrow a little bit, right? Um, but it introduces this really nice push-pull mechanic. I've played it three times now, and I think I really like the mission. We've tuned it a bunch, um, and I think this is the first. This this is an older version, and I think the current version that we played at the, uh, the tournament on Saturday was the right was the right one. But anyway, um, you know, I, I think probably the thing to have done, I mean, maybe even flip Carmen's order and spend it on the scout and just like move the beacon, right? But I, I if I remember, so I had yeah. a zero watching it. You had a zero. You had a zero, and you had the bull watching it from two different correct. sides. Correct. Well, correct. But there is a, there was a spot where you could see it. Like you could get to a spot with camo, where in fact that's what you did, right? Yeah. So at one point um, later in the mission, that's I think my turn. Yeah. So here, so you got an fo all the way on the left there where the speech bubble is. Um, and then, so you can see the beacon, but my zero can see the beacon too. And then we had a little bit of a fight. And because yeah. you're on burst two in the active turn, you still get the active turn burst bonus with forward observe, right? Yeah. So, you know, it is it is still relevant. Um, and and this is 100% safe. All you're spending is orders. There's no risk to you. I mean, obviously, unless I shoot you because I can see you with some other thing, right? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I I think I think it's a if I, if I may say so, a, a pretty reasonably uh, designed mission. So anyway, yeah. it, it definitely takes, it definitely needs some more work and more play testing. I encourage you to check it out. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think, it. I don't think my issues were, were with the, the mission specifically. There were yeah. Definitely the table was some issues for sure. Yeah. The, the, the table was just super hard and it was yeah. made more difficult from not having the rooftops. If the rooftops, yeah. if we had the rooftops. What did I know? All place? the problems go away. Yeah. That was my fault for being lazy and not playing with the train as it was designed to be used. Right. <laughs> but you played some other games. Uh, yeah. You actually stopped by uh, Shiv on, on Saturday while everybody was was uh, enjoying the tournament, and you played some uh, yep. Moonstone, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to play the tournament, but I was able to, to get a couple hours away from the family to squeeze in one game. Um, so while everyone was playing Infinity, yeah, I played uh, Moonstone with Jeff over at Shiv. 
Um, this is from his perspective. Uh, he wanted to show that, you know, the, the protagonist of the photo is the painted army. Um, sure. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. It's a really, it's a really damn fun game. Um, it's, it's one of those games that you learn, once you learn the rules, you can go back and pick it up a, a year later without yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that it's the easiest mini games to pick up that I've ever played. Yeah. It's really surprising. Um, the, like the more... Even Necromolds was harder. Yeah, right. <laughs> like the more I've gone back to this and played it, yeah, Necromolds, you have to internalize more information. This, it's all printed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I've played it a few times now and I'm really enjoying the hell out of it. Um, it's fast. There's really, there's actually some pretty interesting uh, strategy and synergy. Um, mm-hmm. Different factions have more or less synergy than those, have a lot of synergy, um, I'm finding. Yep. Um, and yeah, this was immediately before Boris the Bunny Summoner, uh, who has broken ranks with the rest of the Lesh Vault, uh, right before he ate a crossbow to the crossbow to the face and died in one round. Um, Ooh, yeah, I, pu- I, I I pulled out a green three. Uh, I only had like two arcane. Mm. So Jeff, Jeff, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff called my bluff. It was a green three. His crossbow does double the damage of the card. So it was like six oh. damage right there. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and then my other card was a green one. Oh. And so that was eight total damage and just oh. harpooned him. It oh, was brutal. brutal. It was really brutal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, it, it, it worked. But Jeff still won that game. Uh, yep. And then actually this evening, Jeff won. Jeff, everyone here, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff won. Um, Jeff actually got a tiara that the reigning Moonstone champion must wear at the store uh, until they lose. And then the next person will take on the tiara. Um, So just before before the show tonight, I played a game of No Thank You Evil uh, with my family. Um, And it went really well we did character generation and then played just our very first encounter where they were they were called upon by a totally not seven samurai uh they were called upon by uh, a destitute villager trying to you know find any band of heroes that would help protect uh their village from uh you know raiders coming to attack them um and we 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 got our supplies together we we Ventured out at night on the way to the village, encountered some all the all the monsters in the game are pretty silly. Um, so we encountered some animal crackers uh, on the way there. That's awesome. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> if you if you slay the animal cracker, do you get to eat it? Absolutely. Um, and like the, the animal crackers can't like chase you through water because they dissolve. Uh, oh, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they, they battled some animal crackers. Uh, and made it to the village, and that's where we left off for the evening. And Jean already like in like tucking her to sleep. She's like, I can't wait to play again. What's going to happen awesome. next? That's awesome. And the the dice system for this game is super easy. You just tell them you need to roll a four or greater on a dice or whatever number or greater, and then depending on the type of action it is. So like if it's fighting, it might use their their tough stat or their fast stat they basically their stat is how many of these tokens they have and they can burn tokens 
to lower the difficulty threshold by one. Um, and then every character has an awesome stat, which you can burn to reduce the value by one for somebody else. Very cool. So it's literally it's literally the teamwork stat. Um, and then once all of their, uh, when they take damage, they just remove the tokens as well. And then they have three fun markers, fun tokens, which as their ability, like you replenish those every session, uh, as their ability, they can spend the fun token to refill all their pools. So it's like, it's super, super friendly, uh, easy to play. Um, yeah, Ruben was like, the names are great. So Jean was a, a warrior princess who banishes evil with a pet dragon um, whose name was Nina. Lauren played a creature. Uh, and that's like the class, right? So she played uh, a creature uh, whose name was Groff. Um, and then, yeah, Ruben played a uh, a robot um, whose name of was... Of course. was it? Didu Dadu, which is how he has says... Oh, is that is the correct robot name? Good job, Ruben. Yeah, Didu Dadu. <laughs> like, it was great. Like, the very first scene I'm talking, it's like the old man Ayo asks him some question, and he just looks at me and just goes, Didu Dadu. <laughs> excellent excellent uh, yeah so a lot of fun yeah no thank you evil is the game it's really easy and the whole the whole point of the name no thank you evil is the game as a safe word which is no thank you evil uh so anytime the story gets too intense or too scary um it's like raise your hand no thank you evil um and you know some magic happens, and you you solve you solve the you help them solve the problem, um, but you you uh, eject from whatever narrative was too scary for the kids. Gotcha, gotcha. It was a lot of fun. I definitely found that issue. I, I also run games for my kid, and so she's nine, and she's got a couple other nine year old friends, and they had the entire they're playing D anD D. They had the entire party paralyzed when they ran into two zombies. At level Oops. one, because they're like zombies are really scary, and I'm like, but you guys can can kill them. Yeah, you, you have the powers to do so. And this is their second group of characters. Like they've already like killed a dragon and stuff. Like they know they can do this, but just the idea of the zombies were too scary, and so they oh, had to like go in the tank for a minute and figure out a way to deal with them. Interesting. Yeah, Ruben was not intimidated by the animal crackers. He was immediately was like, I punched them with my robo fist. unstoppable yeah pretty much and then he rolls a crit and it's like boom crumbs everywhere um yeah it was uh it was very enjoyable and like i said they're they're already like when do we do this next like we just got to the village we have to build we have to set up defenses (laughs) so that's so cool yeah how about you john what even what what did you get up to this weekend uh well I played in the oh, I gotta read this whole title the George Spencer Pan Oceania only Invitational Masters Tournament at Shiv Games. <laughs> uh so there were five of us in total. I played for Forco or Foreign Company, um, which Foco, is Pano adjacent. As, as Jeff it's, Forco. It. it's fine. Um, there were two military orders players, a Svalarheima player, and a Corregidor player. Uh, Corregidor, the 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 seventh sectoral. Yeah. Also, there was a AS, uh, Acon player and a Nomad player too. 
all Panoshiana. 100%. All Panoshiana. Yep, 100%. So uh, I played two lists. I played um, lists I played against you. So that yep. was uh, Securitit, Lieutenant, Fuhrbach, and a CSU, uh, and a Harris, and then Bolt MSR, Bolt Missile, Bolt uh, Avicenna, Valkyrie with Heavy Shotgun, and a Chimera with two Pupniks, as I couldn't afford three. Also, I like piloting three models around. That seems right for me. Group two is a Zero Hacker, Zero Ford Observer, Fugazi, Pathfinder, Crocman, Sniper, uh, Beast Hunter, and a Warcore. I really like the, the four-man that you've got going on there. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that quite a bit. Um, because you expect you expect at least one you, know, you expect one of them to probably die. Oh yeah, the the bolt missile launcher there is a hundred percent there to be thrown under the bus. Yeah, um, and then if you can bring it up with Avizena, sure. But if not, right. you just not. keep moving along with a with a uh, burst bonus on your multi cyber cell. That's exactly what the plan is. <laughs> yeah, yep. you figured it out. Yeah, they were, look at me, I'm smart. <laughs> you did it. Uh, the other list that I played was this one. Which is a nomad list. Uh, so it's moderator, lieutenant, puppet master, mine layer with the AP marksman and boarding shotgun FO puppets, Hellcat boarding shotgun, Hellcat Spitfire, Robin Hook, double Moran combi rifle, bandit, just like the cheapest 22 point uh, shotgun version. Group two is Jazz and Billy, uh, Lemieux, a Sampler's on, which is the FO bot, another Hellcat with boarding shotgun, uh, a bog standard Morlock with assault pistol. And a Liberto because don't leave home without them if you can take them. No, no, hold on a second, John. I think you you have either buried the lead. Uh, I'll let you explain. <laughs> intentionally glaze over it. How did you play both Foreign Company and Nomads in the same tournament? Uh, well, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, let sure. me refer you to that picture earlier of uh, of you playing against Than and Eric. Yep. Which was. So... There was an odd number, and you conned Jeff into letting you uh, double dip. I I uh, I was trying to do the to a solid because he has to run a store and and uh, also <laughs> run the cash register. Uh, so I volunteered to play uh, two games around for the first two rounds, uh, and then it was me playing myself on round three. So I, I we used we used his ITS to as the nomad yeah. player. Um, so it was going to be me versus uh, Jeff's ITS, and so he was a, a perfect gentleman and uh, and brought out his tray of a contestamento to fight me, and that was uh, that was a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was in that list? It was. Uh, I have it. One second. Oh Let's my god. Um, boop, boop, boop. I actually think it's not far from being a really good list. Uh, I actually have a, I have a version that I think I would I would play. Not to say that Jeff's version is bad. Uh, I it's just no. not you know my my speed, so uh, I'm calling this two two tick balangs, um, ah, ah, ah. and uh, so his I I played a foreign company versus him, and his list is a regular lieutenant, regular hacker, machinist, a double machinist, a double pal bot, a mule bot evo hacker, uh, dragal, double tick balang, and double fugazi. So, so three that's ten tags. orders, three tags. Yep. <laughs> Um, I actually faced uh, a three-tag list and a two-tag list, and I managed to kill two Yodams and two Teak Belongs this tournament. <laughs> well done. So it was, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It's a great list, Jeff. Uh, I just prefer other tools. Uh, I, I have a version of the list that has uh, one Dragao and one Teak Belong and then a bunch of other stuff. No, F minus. Point savings. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just a list where, like, 
there's sometimes you like lay out your army and you see that list drop and you're just like, I don't have enough to deal with that. Fortunately, like, bolts are skewed. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> bolts are stupid. Learned. Yeah, and I think the uh, the picture with the chimera in base contact with the T-Pelong explains everything else. Yeah, pretty much right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm fine with being the JV team and uh, punching up. That's okay. <laughs> I don't I don't mind. But yeah, it was, a, it was a fun tournament. I had a great time. Uh, I will happily... Uh, uh, all UTOs out there, if I show up at your tournament and you have an odd number of players, I will happily play two games. Uh, <laughs> so like, I'm 100% serious. Uh, the only request that I have is that you put me on a, a adjacent table and talk to the players beforehand so I can stay on the same side of the table. So it's not totally ridiculous. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, ha I'm happy to like deploy first, go second, if that is what it takes. So and having yeah. done that against you, it was an absolute blast. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, so. I mean, so the, the, I see, I think the one for me, it's a hundred percent fun, a hundred percent of the time. The only thing that I'm concerned about is my opponent because I cannot be interacting with you 100% of the time. You will be waiting for me. I do my best to to make that as as little time as possible. So, for example, you're like, uh, I'm shooting at your dude. I'll be like, I shoot back. I'll like huck a dice at the table and I'll be like, I got a five. And then like, you know, go back to uh, to do things. I will fight myself too if that ends up being that. That that's fine too. I don't mind. I've actually never done that. Um, that seems a little Flagellatory, a little weird with arrow. Yeah. Little, little weird with camel markers. Sort. I mean, yeah. I think I think that's fine though, because the the other thing is like I feel like I've played this game long enough that there's not that much that can surprise me anymore. Sure. Um, which isn't to say that I haven't been surprised recently. It's just that you know if you put down a camel token and I'm I'm reading the the board correctly, I can be like, oh, that's probably one of like two or three things. Right. Um, so. Well, yeah. so that means in a three-round tournament, you went five and zero. Oh. Uh, that is correct. I wasn't going to bring it up, but that is true. <laughs> just, just making sure. Um, well, well, well done. <laughs> okay. Well, finally, before we get to our uh, our, our ship sponsorship, um, we have some media recommend media to recommend. Than you, you, you played some things and heard some things. Yeah, um, so I wanted to recommend, uh, I don't know if I wrote this on here, but I want to recommend a podcast, um, on a different podcast. I know. How dare you? Not allowed. Uh, it's called Clock Tower. It's a 5th edition D&D podcast. Um, oh, okay. It's, so, so it's essentially the central conceit is that the players have been pulled in by this entity, the Clock Tower, and the tower sends them out to different times and places. So, like, one week they might be in a fantasy adventure land, and the next week they're in a space station. Mm. Um, and they go out there, they are given a mission, but the clock tower doesn't exactly tell them what it is. And so they have, have to figure it out. And the environments are not necessarily fair. And they might just get completely wiped. And then they start at the clock tower again. And then they can rewind based on their first play through to a certain point, be like, okay, if we do everything the same, we're going to be to here, and then we're going to do something differently, and time will go different from that point. Mm. Oh, so That's a cool conceit. I it, like that. It's basically, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the DM is also probably pretty pleased with that situation, because it's just like a million one-shots. Yeah, kind of. Um, it also lets them do some interesting things where, you know, they can see the same character in different 
and uh timelines so to speak yeah um mm-hmm. it they, they have a very fascinating character making process the first podcast i think is like 30 minutes long and it's just one person making a character and it's done in the style of those personality quizzes where you like a thing is described to you and then you have four choices to pick from and it follows them in this dark stoles-esque journey into oblivion mm. um which just it's it's fascinating to listen to so yeah it's it's a lot of fun uh because it is a podcast you can listen to it you don't have to there's no visual content that's important so you can just listen it's fairly well produced um adding it to my podcast app right now (laughs) yeah I, i quite like it um and then i've also been playing a lot of a video game called duskers um it is the best alien game that has ever been made better than the alien games so you are you are exploring it is a roguelike you are exploring procedurally generated universes you do so as a lone dude on a ship there are tons of derelicts there are no humans no bodies even and you're trying to figure out what happened and so you top down aliens um view the ship you have your four drones that you can drive around on the ship using the arrow keys or you can go to a map view uh and you can do like full aliens you know motion tracker to see where the different like infestations on the ship are it makes you decide it shows you if rooms are green that means they're safe yellow means they're inconclusive or red means there's something bad in there there's different kinds of aliens that show up different ways this is on steam yeah, it's on Steam. Okay. The thing that makes this really interesting is that it is done in the future of the 1980s style way. So if you want to drive your drones around, you can do that with the arrow keys. Anything else you want to do is a console command. Mm, and it auto-completes, so it's quick. But, you know, you're like, I want to drive my drone into this room and turn on the generator. I can drive in, and then I've got to you know, turn on the generator. Or I can type drone one, room two, huh. generator, after a semicolon. And you can make pseudocode and... Have all your drones just do oh, everything. Oh, God damn it. I have to get out of this game now. Yep. Yep. Um, like roguelikes, it's fairly unfair. Um, you're using old equipment, so occasionally, like, your drone's video feeds will go out, which has a very Aliens feel to it, where you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, where's my drone? And you have to, like, navigate from the map view and figure out how to drive it around blind, essentially. Mm, um, interesting. This is, this is definitely sounding like I should implement some optical character recognition and then throw an expect script at it. There you go. Yeah. Uh, You can, you can set up, you can set up aliases. They built that into the system. Um, It's, I've had a lot of fun with it. It's like all roguelikes. There'll be times where you're like, I fucking hate this game forever. Um, And then times where you're just having a lot of fun and you get a great combo together. So nice. uh, I've been very happy with it. (laughs) A a better alien than any official a better alien game than any official alien game or rock paper shotgun like is the first first review. It, it kind of feels that way. There's also an element too where like so if your drones break, you have to like drag them back to your ship, which you might not always be able to do, and that feels very alien like. Where it's like, oh my god, I know the monster's still in there. I have no way to kill it. We have to like wait till the motion tracker tells me it's not in the room. Run in, grab my drone, then run out. And you're doing this all with console commands. So you're type, 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 trying to like type as quick as you can to get out of there before the monsters get you. So it, it makes you feel very in-universe. That's cool. That's, that's pretty awesome. Although to me, it sounds like work. 
<laughs> yes, I also like John, was thinking when I describe this game to John, he's going to buy it immediately. So yeah, yeah, I, I have Steam open in another TV. <laughs> John, make your make your chip play the game. Yeah, right there you go. <laughs> Holy cow! All right, how about how about you, John? Uh, I just wanted to rec. I mean, I can't believe we haven't recommended this on the show before. It's the podcast called Behind the Bastard by Robert Evans. Oh yeah. Um, it is uh, basically Robert Evans is a uh, is a journalist that works for Bellingcat, um, or has in the past. He now basically just does a million podcasts, um, and he lives in Portland somewhere. Yeah, and he plays 40k, and I feel like we should be friends. But anyway, uh, yeah, he <laughs> no, he should just he plays 40k. He, he <laughs> right. He he picks. He basically picks like a horrible figure from history. Uh, either either modern or in in the past, uh, like uh, no longer living in the past, um, and then you know does does research on them and presents their life story and some con- um, context around um, society at the time and sort of illustrates their effect on the modern world and why they were terrible or AKA a bastard. So basically, he takes a bastard and then shows you the story behind them. That's the the yeah. key conceit. Um, so the very first one I believe is about Hitler, right? So sure. Godwin's law is satisfied. Um, but, uh, you know, recently I, the most recent one I think he did was on like Coco Chanel, right. And how she was a, a Nazi agent and stuff in world war two. So lots of really interesting stories. He is super irreverent. Um, and I, I don't really know how to like say that otherwise, other than to really emphasize the super, um, yeah, it's a good time. Uh, you'll find yourself laughing while you want to cry. So, yeah. Maybe that's why we haven't recommended it. Like, can we like leaving people in a good mood? I always leave in a good mood. It's, I also, I mean, it's a really good podcast. I also binged like the entirety of it uh, in like a month once. Yeah, like, I, I caught up. And that was not a good time. I do not recommend that. <laughs> was, that was sad, John, for a month. <laughs> that was that was really rough. Um. So I watched the Tetris movie, and it was way better than I felt like it had any business being. Um, you know, like like I'm gonna watch a movie based on a video game. That video game is Tetris. Like what? Um, and basically, it was the story of how they got Tetris out of Russia uh, at the height of the Cold War, right before the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was amazing. Um. The the level of security involved with it because it was fu- it, it, like the, the Soviet Union was collapsing and now they have a piece of culture that the West wants from them. Right. Yeah. Like like instead of, you know, you know, the people people in Soviet Russia, they wanted, you know, literally wanted Coca-Cola and Levi's. Right. And like everyone in the world wanted Tetris. And um, it was pretty it was pretty phenomenal. Like it went all the way up to Gorbachev uh of people who were aware of this uh and its importance uh, or its potential impact to the country um pretty nuts pretty nuts uh, i don't i don't want to give you know any, any spoilers but uh tetris came out on game boy uh <laughs> and it was a, and it was a big deal um but i mean like you know, it comes down to like how they were even defining consoles, because like nobody, like who cares about consoles? What like that's just like some crappy computer. And then like you know who owns what rights to what? It turns into basically like a a KGB spy movie 
towards the end because they're like trying to like shadily negotiate these contracts without the government catching on. Um, pretty nuts. Highly, highly recommend it. Very cool. So, all right. Well, that rounds up our media, which t- means it's time for our Shiv Games sponsorship. Um, so Shiv Games, the best smelling store in all of Kaiser, Oregon, uh, is you know continuing to sponsor us with some uh, different prizes every week. So this time, um, instead of a single prize that somebody's going to say the magic word that Than prepared, Than, what's the word? Jazz hands. It doesn't matter because we're not doing that. Uh, and said, everybody who is listening gets access to this code. That's right. This is in honor of foreign company winning the satellite tournament at Adepticon. Um, and so to 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 honor uh, Byron and his victory, we are giving everybody the opportunity to buy the um, oh, what was it? The uh, the security box, the security uh, fear box and the uh, Soldiers of Fortune box with for an additional 20% off of Shiv's game store. So it's already discounted because he does that uh, by entering the code FOCO, FOSHOCO, there we go, uh, at, uh, was it in the eBay store at checkout? Um, so everybody F-O- gets a code. <laughs> so, yep. F-O-C-O, the number four, S-H-O-C-O, all caps. It is not for co for sure co. It is FOCO for SHOCO. Um, and yeah, so start those foreign company armies. Apparently they're OP. Woo! It's true. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Jeff, and uh, everyone listening. Enjoy your sweet discount. All right, now I get to push the other button. It's time for our main feature. All right, now we're here to talk about the the DreamPod 9 Heavy Gear RPG 4th Edition Kickstarter fan. What you got yes. for me? Uh, I got a lot of stuff for you. Um, but yeah, the Heavy Gear Kickstarter is happening. Uh, I've had to say this a lot of times in different articles, and I can actually say it is happening in a few days, <gasps> April 7th. Three days. Um. So it's a smallish Kickstarter, it's 35K, so pretty reasonably sized. Um, we are going to be having the book offered for sale in uh, PDF, softcover, hardcover at different pledge levels. Uh, we're going to have add ons for Heavy Gear Revitalized. If you've not heard of Heavy Gear Revitalized, it's essentially the old, all the old books have been brought up in higher definition and are available as PDF type formats. Yep. Um, they've got the colors revitalized. It's good quality scans. Well, it's, it's, not, it's no longer scans. So the original, oh, the original right. PDFs that were available on Drive Through RPG were scans of the original text. Um, these are actually like dug out of old CD archives, uh, right? Yeah. Ancient, ancient postscript print files uh, brought up and modernized into modern P, you know, vector PDF standards. Um, so it is it is as high quality as you could possibly get it. And from that, we've been able to discover some stuff that like we actually didn't even know. Um, yeah. So so that's been that's been really interesting. Like looking at some of the art, um, mm. it, it was actually not realized that 
uh, one of the covers actually has Miranda's Julius on it because they'd written Julius in really tiny font, and it wasn't showing up in the previous resolution. Oh, funny. Oh, it, was, it just so looked we, like a we, bunch of like garbage pixels. Yeah. So um, that that's been interesting. Seeing a lot of stuff, getting some stuff in color that wasn't in color before. So it's very exciting. Um, if you are into the old books, this is the best way to get them. But talking about the main book again, um, I think we can show the cover today. We've seen a close up version of it, but uh, John, if you want to pull that. Um, so we have Miranda there with Julius. Uh, this is 1954 of Miranda, so she is uh, kind of much more hardened, uh, st still, still the game mascot, but much less the uh, young and poppy sort of character and much more ready to kick your ass. Um, yep, she's joined the, I, uh, the Black Talons, it looks like. She, yeah, she's in Black Talons. Um, and we have the up mod most modern upgraded version of Julius here. I really like the color that we're able to get on mm -hmm. this cover. I think it's just absolutely gorgeous. So really cool. I'm very happy for it. So you're looking at the right half is the cover. The left half is the back, pay or back cover. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Um, so it, it folds like this, yeah. basically. Very nice. Um, we're going to have, so part of the Kickstarter is paying for internal art. We're going to have, I believe around a hundred pages or a hundred pieces of internal art. Oh, nice. This is, you know, and that's something a lot of artists right now are really facing an uncertain future, looking at all the AI junk out there. Sure. Uh, I'm looking at people just to, you know, like a lot of times for war game books, people will just do miniatures instead of art. Yeah. So Kickstarter is going to be funding that. Um, we oh, go no. to, actually, we'll go to that in just a second. <laughs> actually, actually, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, I, I was trying to operate the computer for a second, but speaking of AI art, uh, I'm going to do a quick, quick transition to the Glaze Project from the University of Chicago. Um, so this will be an interesting uh, arms race to watch. Um, this is actually a, uh, they actually do this, I think, in a weekend. Um, but basically what it does is you you take your AI, your like you are an artist, you do an art, right? I know I'm like grossly that's, that's oversimplifying. You yeah, you just do an art, right? Just just yeah. do the thing. As, like, I'm reminded of the um, uh, the Parks and Rec episode where like Tom goes and contracts that like abstract artist, and he's like, I feel these shapes. Anyway, um, basically the idea is that uh, you uh, you you take uh, your your piece of art, you run it through this Glaze software. Um, it never leaves your computer, according to the claims on this website. Um, and uh, it will intentionally muck with the image in a way that most humans can't tell when they're just looking at it and enjoying your art. But if a, uh, a machine learning algorithm were to try to learn your art style, uh, it will basically fuck it up. Um, so... Lord's work. Yeah, I will tell you right now that this is not going to last long term, and it will have to, it will just have to continue to develop countermeasures and stuff. So this is a legit arms race we're embarking on, um, but it's pretty cool, and check it out. Anyway, yeah, back to yeah. our regularly no, scheduled heavy gear programming. Thank you for that public service announcement. That's actually <laughs> that's good for people to hear. Um, yeah, so the book itself, uh, as I said, it's going to be PDF, soft cover, or hardcover. Um, we're going to have print-on-demand options, assuming we have a successful Kickstarter. Um, and then we've got lots of stretch goals set up. 
Uh, it is a big book. So previously, how other editions have been, you get the core book, you get like eight, ten gears, and you get you know a basic small setting of different equipment that you can have, and then you buy all the other books for all the leagues and all the equipment and all the gears from all the different leagues. Um, we're not doing that this time. Instead, we have a 480-page book. 300 It is <laughs> it's it big is boy. Big. It has almost every vehicle ever produced in profile form um, for every faction. So it's it's huge. Uh, well over 200 vehicles. Bigly. If I'm remembering that number correctly. Um, you can play all of the factions on Terra Nova. We have all of the Earth factions as well. Um, you know, Earth is the bad guys, but if you don't know much about the heavy gear world, um, gray morality. You know, sure. Earth is definitely a invading evil force, but there's still humans on that force, and a lot of them are just kind of along for the ride. So, um, humans and human shaped equipment. Yes, yeah. humans and human shaped equipment. Oh, so uh, I'm good. yeah so <laughs> grell are playable as just a standard uh part of the game we wanted to get that right from the get-go um we have a number of articles kind of breaking down we're not going to go too deeply into mechanics but okay. we have a number of articles on the community site that uh go into every aspect of the game a couple of things i wanted to highlight though about this edition um we are really trying to focus on narrative over numbers so Previous game, you have numbers on numbers on numbers, um, and narrative fit in where you could fit it in. Um, now we're focusing more on narrative and then using that to define the numbers. Mm. Um, I can give a very quick example of that, and that's the skill set, skill, skill mm -hmm. system. So dice rolling's pretty much the same as Blitz, pretty much the same as other heavy gear editions. It's roll it up pool of dice, pick the highest dice, other dice will add a plus one to that if they hit a certain threshold. Hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like it's kind of like old silhouette, except we're previously in old silhouette. It was just exploding sixes. There's yeah. now uh, there are now stats um, for piloting gunnery, electronics, etc. Um, where if you meet if you beat that threshold, it adds one. So right. previously, if you rolled two fives, you had a five. Now, if you rolled two fives and your skill is at least five up. Um, the first five will count, and the second five will give plus one. Right. So yeah, it's kind so of a, you... a more interesting. I think it's a more interesting, more flexible dice system than old uh, silhouette, strictly. Yeah, and so difficulty and that threshold number are separate stats as well, which gives us even more room for granularity. Um. So I, I'm. So to get back to where I was, uh, in terms of making a narrative, so. Instead of having a skill list that is like 50 skills that's supposed to be everything a person could possibly do, we have some larger categories called domains. When you make a skill for your character, there's not a skill list. You instead pick a domain, let's say piloting, and then you go from that and just decide, I'm going to be piloting heavy gear. You could just as easily be like, I am piloting aircraft. I am piloting mm. uh, a hunter heavy gear. Oh, the more specific you are on your skill, the more likely you're going to be able to use it exactly as you intend to use it. The more broad you are in your skill, the more likely you can use it for anything. So to give another example, say we have a character who is a, 
a paratrooper. He has paratrooper tactics. Uh, what, what's it called? Tactics paratrooper. And we have a rover who has a survival Badlands hunter. Both those characters are trying to sneak up on an enemy outpost. Mm -hmm. They can both use their skill, even though it's two completely different skills in completely different domains. They can both use that skill because that skill makes sense to use in that circumstance. Hmm. I see. Um, so how do you how do you balance then, right? Like going back to that that uh, the piloting example. So if I'm a heavy gear pilot versus a a, a uh, an armored hunter pilot, how how it, like presumably when I'm piloting an armored hunter, I would get some bonus. How does that work? So you don't get a direct bonus. Instead, what we have is called domain expertise. So because you could, you know, buy like I'm going to buy piloting heavy gear, mm -hmm. and just I can drive all the heavy gears now. Well, that's going to get you a certain distance. But if you are willing to invest more into domains, so you have piloting heavy gear, piloting armored hunter, mm -hmm. when you have multiple domains together, those can stack and give you what's called domain expertise, which makes you good at all the things in that domain. So it encourages you to build up some of these smaller skills and find other ways that you would expand within that domain oh, i see uh, the other reason that you would want say armored hunter over um just having heavy gear is you might be able to argue that for something that has nothing necessarily to do with piloting so i have pilot armored hunter this tells the director that you have more of an understanding of the armored hunter than you do of just gears so your armored hunter breaks and they tell you you can't have a part well this is the situation where you could lobby the GM and say, okay, I am specialized in understanding this. So I want to use my piloting skill to try and jury rig away to get my gear moving. Mm, I see. I see. So the, the specificity, specificity allows you to be able to know how your skill can be used every time. The broadness allows you to use your skill on lots of things. Uh, another example, just quickly here, uh, let's take weapons, right? If you have heavy gear heavy gear weapons right anytime you're piloting a gear that's fine if you have gunnery auto cannons you're going to use it on your heavy gear but if you are driving a technical that has a bolted on auto cannon you can use it there as well mm. um so another aspect of the narrative uh is we have uh traits for characters you'll uh be making four of these total they are aptitudes as adversities and quirks aptitudes pretty much always good, adversity, pretty much always bad, quirk, sure. would be either. Um, on any roll, you can activate these for a bonus or a penalty. If you activate it for a bonus, the uh, trait gets exhausted and you can't use it again that session. Mm. If you activate it for a penalty, you can reactivate one of the ones you used for a bonus. And anytime you penalize a skill, that skill gains XP. So rather than having a generic character XP, we have XP tagged to each skill. You get XP to a skill for using that skill when that skill faces a challenge. Mm -hmm. So you're encouraged to play your character in ways that penalize you. You get rewarded for that. If you have, you know, I'm a hot-headed gear pilot. When you use your hot-headed skill, when you're going in for the kill on a charge and give yourself a penalty, you'll get XP to the skill you're using and you get to play your character. Gotcha. So that's really cool. I, I really like uh, scenarios that, well, I guess, um, uh, 
systems that reward you for taking the penalty. That's actually pretty important. Because like one of the things that I, I, I rail against in the design space is it's easy to talk about how to differentiate something by being better. It's difficult and kind of uncomfortable to talk about how to make something worse. Yeah. Um, there's also a way to think about this that it encourages interactivity too. So sure. if I can use my quirk for a disadvantage and tag your quirk and say we do it when we are, uh, you know, we're on our way to the mission, we're both rolling survival rolls. This mm -hmm. makes a fun scene for us to play and we both get XP to our survival skill yep. and we both get a reset one of our other traits. Mm. So um, it, it can encourage players to play with each other. Um, another thing I want to talk about is uh, customization. So there are a lot of things I love about older heavy gears. Customizing vehicles was not one of them. That's because it got very complex very quick. Circumstances in which you needed to kind of figure out the literally figure out the amount of jewels that you were generating with fuel. Um, it got complicated. Yeah, it, it was a bit much. Also, probably uh, values, incorrect. Got to be a bit you much. Know, now, if you wanted to, just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you wanted to get into it and get deep down into figuring out how everything works for the threat value. That could be fun, fun in itself. But we wanted something that felt a little more intuitive that everybody could play with. Um, so what we've come up with is a way of modifying heavy gears and vehicles and basically everything, weapons, equipment, mm. everything your characters use can be modified. Um, we do this through the priority level system. Um, again, because we're focusing on narrative instead of just numbers, we have a system called priority level. This essentially means that whatever group you are working with, your sponsor, whether you are you know, partisans behind enemy lines or whether you are an elite spec ops unit, um, your bosses are going to give you the tools to get the job done. They might not be the best tools, but they are the tools that you have available. So priority level is from 0 to 10. Um, every gear has a priority level associated with it, as does every weapon system and piece of equipment. Mm. If your priority level is equal to the priority level of the equipment and you're you know, assumed to have supply, you know, you're not like in a tent in the middle of the jungle, um, you can just get it. You ask command for it. You can make the argument you need it. They will give it to you. As you level up, priority level will increase for your characters. And rather than have pages and pages of, you know, this is priority level one toolkit, priority level two, priority level three, we have a modification system. So you could, for example, take your basic priority level one toolkit that's giving you a bonus dice. When you go up to priority two, you can make it a two dice kit. Mm. Or if you want a two dice kit right at priority level one, you can give it a flaw to drop it back mm. down to PL1. Oh, I see. So you can get like a crappier version of a PL2. Right. So we, we uh, did this in one of the community blog uh, articles, but say, for example, you want that two dice kit um, right at starting level, you could uh, give it the customized uh, customized modifier, increase it from one dice to two dice. That puts it up to PL2. You couldn't get this kit normally. However, you can give it the specialized modifier, which drops it down to PL1 mm. and means that it will take 
extreme penalties if used for anything besides its intended use. So similar to domains and talking, we were talking earlier about using a skill in sure. broad categories. Mm -hmm. um, when you buy equipment, you are buying it for a skill. If you could use that equipment for a different skill, um, you could do so. If you lobby the director and it's like, okay, so I have a maintenance toolkit and this is made for heavy gears, but my tire blew out. I bet I could change a tire with this. Yeah, fine. You could use the full bonus. I see. Um, I see. And and so for those of us listening at home, director is GM. Director is GM. Yes. Sorry. We're trying to we're trying to keep the idea. Heavy Gear was always built to be a movie series. If you mm -hmm. look at the first edition books, they actually list everybody like the film credits. Sure. So sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, those of you who don't know, DreamPod Nine actually has a uh, pretty storied history with the film industry. So that's some some fun trivia. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there that I could go on about for a little while, but won't right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to derail a conversation I've just mentioned. No, so, right. so we are credited for the idea that you are playing in a movie. So the director is the uh, is the game master. The players are players. Um, characters, their vehicles, everybody else is an actor. Mm. And you play through scenes. So we have some abilities that are based on a scene. A scene might be, you know, 30 seconds as you have a quick conversation and get through a checkpoint. It might be a week covering your montage as you go through the desert. I was about to say, yeah, montage. Yeah, montage is built into the game. Uh, we have intermissions between sessions uh, or during long downtimes where characters get to choose one of a different set of actions that will give them some bonus in the next session. Kind of represents your off-camera work. Yeah, that's, I mean, oh. that's really clever. I yeah, mean, so. I, I think one of the nice things about framing it this way, I mean, everybody in modern, you know, anybody that would play this game and is, you know, lives in the modern world, right? And and therefore is uh, has has a working knowledge of how like movies and television work. Um, and it adds a lot of power because uh, like a montage is a great example. It allows you to fast forward through a bunch of, um, character development, a bunch of skill improvement, and all that kind of stuff, uh, in a way that is understandable and believable, almost right, because we sort of we've sort of normalized it. You're um, compressing time. Yeah, exactly. Right. So one of the one of the things that I I just want to call attention. I don't know if you guys have played um, Once Upon a Time. Uh, it's a card. It's a card driven game. Basically, it's a board game, and basically, it's. Uh, it's a uh, fairy tale board game or card game, right? So at the beginning of the game, everybody's issued a the ending line to a fairy tale. Like for example, they lived heavily, happily ever happily ever after. Uh, your hand is also filled with cards like princess and frog and sword and king and queen or whatever, right? Um, and your job is to narrate a tale that includes all of the cards in your hand such as like, you know, sword, right? So you have to mention a sword, which is central to some fairy tale. Um, and when you when you mention the word sword, you play the card. And it's kind of like Uno in the sense that you have to, you know, dump your whole hand. And then once you finish the story, you can then play your ending card. They live happily ever after. Um, the key is that if um, I say the word prince and you have the prince card, you may interrupt me play your prince card and hijack the story. 
Mm. Um, and uh, this creates a very interesting dynamic, which, you know, due to the contents of your hand, you may drag the story in a completely different non sequitur direction. And what ends up happening is, uh, like, it's part of the rules that uh, when you play your final card that, you know, has the fairy tale ending, you must have tied up all the loose threads of all of the stories to mutual satisfaction of all the players, right? Mm. So it's a pretty tall order. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up and why it's relevant to this is that the most useful framing that we found for a game of this uh, of Once Upon a Time that was the most fun and relatable and actually helped people come out of their shells. Because, you know, when you're playing a storytelling game where you're, you're basically being forced to improvise, um, it can be difficult for some people. If you're not used to that, that's not your, your jam, that's not your comfort zone. Um, and so what we did to get the people at the table at that particular session out of their shell was to frame it like a, uh, like, a, like, a, like, a like a television series, right? So you can do smash cuts. You, you know, you can do like the meanwhile in the hall of justice, yeah, yeah. right? Like, and, and that is a, is a really wonderful framing and to have it built into the system all the way down to, you know, normalizing the GM as the director of the whole thing. Right. And, and sort of uh, bring equity to the situation. It's like, Hey, the actors have say in this too. They can, the PCs can, it's, is you know, their, their story as well, I think is, is very nice. I'm not to say that other, other RPGs don't do it, but um to have it baked into the central rule set is pretty cool yeah if there's not a uh kenny Loggins beach volleyball montage scene i'd be very upset <laughs> i i there there may be a reference to beach volleyball games in Excellent. the freight section specifically I, I almost so, wore my beach volleyball shirt but i was afraid i would like get sloppy and spill my negroni and stain it no yeah i don't want to do that um yeah, so we, we definitely are trying to encourage narration at all, or a narrative play style at all levels. Um, another thing we have is, so when you have a skill, we try to do it when it's not like a combat. Um, everything's one role. So you're, let's take the movie situation. I got to sneak up on that guy and knock him out and get into this secret facility. Well, like, older heavy gear, basically any sort of system, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to stealth roll versus perception several times to move up, and now I'm going to do combat, and hopefully this game has some way of taking somebody out in a hurry. Um, old heavy gear, that was fine. But some systems, it's like, okay, I missed. Well, now we're going to have to roll several rounds of combat. Why knock out this guard? Um, how heavy gear 4th edition works is you roll your dice, whether you succeed or fail, you're going to get done what you wanted to get done. And that's going to just determine the cost. So say you roll your tactics roll, um, you get a margin of success too. Uh, the narrator is going to be like, okay, cool. You knock out the guard and you get to the place. Tell me how you did it. And you get to describe how your character would do it based on your skill set. So if you are, I am an elite paratrooper, you know, I sneak up there ninja-like, and I jump up from behind and knock this guy out. Or maybe you did this with your uh, misdirection skill that you have as a, you know, super spy. And so, you know, you walk up dressed in one of the enemy uniforms, and you get this guy to go somewhere he's not supposed to be, and you take over for him. And um, It's the, the D&D &D skill challenge, so to speak. 
yeah, we, we leave the the narration is supposed to be given to the player. Players don't have to do that if they don't want to. Uh, similarly, if you fail the role, failure is intended to be... Uh, we, we intend you to fail forward in this game. So say you fail that role with an MOF2, margin of failure 2. Well, you're still going to take out the guy because that's how the story is going to go. We know that you need to get into that facility. So rather than be like, oh, crap, how do we figure out how do you deal with this guy? Oh, no, now the alarms are going off. We're like, okay, so yeah, you took out that guy, but you got hurt in the process. Or maybe you have tripped an alarm. Something's gone wrong for you. This, we've now added more tension to the game. Mm. We've added more interest. But we haven't hit this brick wall of like, well, you didn't take out that guy, so we can't continue playing the game. Mission fails. Um, so we're trying to build that in at all levels. Um, players are encouraged always to lobby the director. Um, you have to lobby the director for your skills, you know, using those broad skills, using those broad traits. Um, you're sometimes going to be lobbying yourself to a penalty to get yourself XP. So we're trying to encourage people towards more narrative everywhere. That's very cool. Yeah, uh, so I'm very excited for it. We had, we've been working on this for years. I'm very proud of what we put together. Um, Kickstarter is on the seventh. Um, oh, I wanted to. I have that other bit of art to share. So, oh yeah. Um, we are trying to this. So for people who have been following Heavy Gear for a long time, we're in 1954 now. This is way back from Terra Nova, 1932, I want to say, is when this picture, it might be 34, is when this picture is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, this, is, this is TN years, right? Not, not yeah. um, so AD Terra years. So Terra Nova years, yep. this is uh, about 4,000 years in Earth's future. This is a different planet, desert world. Um, their cycles are about eight months. So... For a while, Heavy Gear was actually being released in real time with every 36 hours of Earth time corresponding to 36 hours of Terra Nova time. Um, there's been a little break in that. That said, it's still been a long time in Heavy Gear storyline. There's storyline books that have all the events that have happened in between. Uh, we have a full update of the fluff to get us to Terra Nova 1954. Um, so this is well advanced, and the world has changed significantly. We're trying to keep a lot of that legacy involved to keep the story going. It's a picture of uh, Sorrento, the northern uh, holy city, back from one of the early Heavy Gear books. And if you want to show the second picture. So Sorrento mm -hmm. now is the center of essentially a cauldron battle uh, between the uh, Earth invaders and the North that considers it a holy city and is willing to pour any amount of protection into it. Um, Earth's so fine with that. Stalingrad. Yeah, yeah. It's a giant mess. Um, and we have a lot of places that have changed significantly over the years. Um, this book is including kind of a light version of Life on Terra Nova. Previous editions had a book called Life on Terra Nova that was just, it was literally like Here's every yeah, city social state studies book. <laughs> yeah, like there's recipes in there for cooking desert lobe fish. Like there's there's weird bits of culture. Here's the soccer teams. Here's the yeah. the current uh, cartoon that's really big with kids. It, it's a very lived in world, and we're trying to keep that feeling to it, and also keep that 
legacy continuing for the people who have been following from before. Sure. That's really cool. Yeah, I like how this art is the you know, the, the same art, the before and after, very clearly. Um, yeah, it's it's been a little rough for a lot of parts of the world. Um, Somebody illegally parked that behemoth a long time ago. <laughs> it's, it's got like 40 tickets up there on the front. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's super rad. Like I said, yeah, Northern Lights are probably not going to be thrilled about this. No. Very cool. Yeah, the new art is really fun. And like you said, it kind of makes the world uh, continue to feel lived in. Yeah, and we're excited to be bringing back some of those legacy characters. We're excited for new characters. We're excited to keep the storyline going and keep expanding it, tie up some loose ends, and introduce some new ones. Uh, we also, just one last thing on this before we move on, uh, as part of the Kickstarter, which again is starting on the 7th, yep. uh, we're going to be That's offering... Friday, for, for those of you uh, who need some reference. Very soon. Yeah. For those of you uh, that use a non non-metric seven weekday week. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, sure. Um so <laughs> just gotta get my footing again after that. Um, <laughs> we we also so the game is being set up so that you can play it with just the core book. Mm. However, we're also uh coming out with adventure modules. Uh, some of these are going to be a specific setting. Some of these are going to be specific storylines. And we hope to make more of those as we get past stretch goals. So we've already got a bunch of those lined up. Um, I can't go too much into that. But again, we're very excited for this. You know, this will let you just take the game and drop the module and run it. Um, we have a... Uh, free starting adventure that is already out has been out in the playtesting and we're going to be putting that back out again i believe um ashes of the nhr uh which kind of just starts you into the game as a one shot and uh yeah we're hoping to do more of that some of these modules will introduce new rules or new ways of playing the existing rules but the core rules are already very uh very largely built with a lot of potential to expand so you kind of get everything you need with the core book. And we definitely wanted to do that because the era has changed. It's no longer a time of buy the core book and buy the 10 expanded sure. books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people want something that's a little more packaged. Yeah. As I can see the uh, you know 20 plus something uh, supplements behind you for Heavy Gear Tactical, <laughs> the originals. Um, They're just off to the off to the side of me here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think one last thing I noted, I, I saw in our notes before we move on to the uh, Bromad Academy stuff. Um, what about archetypes? Like the different, I guess there's not classes, right? Yeah. So there's not attributes and there's not classes. Um, instead of attributes, we'll just go briefly into that. We have uh, perks and flaws. So Heavy Gear, original Heavy Gear came up with this idea of a zero average. So your stat is zero. That means you're just as good mm -hmm. as an average person. And then characters were either lower than that in a negative numbers or better than that in the positive numbers. We're keeping that same idea for this game. So whatever your job is, you are assumed to be competent enough, strong enough, fast enough, whatever to do it. Mm. Now, 
doesn't matter what the game is. You could be playing a game where everybody's elite spec ops, or we had a game in playtesting where it was essentially described as culinary ghost in the shell. It was tactical <laughs> espionage for uh, the weird but tasty company making novelty food, and they were trying to destroy a rival. Um, I love it. Very goofy. Very fun. Um, I ran a game where people were essentially techs on a spaceship that was having a disaster. So the game is still set up that you can play whatever unless you increase or decrease, unless you buy perks or flaws, you're just good enough to do whatever it is. Now your skill will determine how good enough you are. Um, mm -hmm. If you want to be significantly better or significantly worse, you can buy those with a perk and flaw system. Every perk you buy has to be offset by a flaw. Mm. You don't have to take them, but you know, you're like, I want to be stronger. I want to be more agile, but I also want to have trauma. I want to, uh, th some of these will open up social as well as physical ankles. So you can have an attribute, you know, a physical part of yourself that is balanced by a social problem. Like I am more agile, but I am wanted in the South. Um, That's cool. So we're opening up a little more broadly. In addition to that, we have an archetype system. Um, we have a number of optional rules in the game. Optional rules are by default on. We think of them as like mods to a video game. Mm. You can strip these out if you want a faster place experience, but these kind of take a lot of things that would be director's discretion and give them systems. Um, archetypes is one of those optional rules. Um, you can think of them as similar to character classes in other games. Um, we have eight of them currently. Um, what these are is when you make your character, you pick one of these archetypes and you will start at a uh, rank of one. You can go all the way up to rank of six. Every time you rank up, you're going to get new abilities. Rather than have this be like, you know, your skills will go up. These are not necessarily tied to your skills. Um, so, for example, uh, we have the Grunt. Um, the Grunt, every time it levels up, can pick one of three different special abilities. Um, at the low levels, this might be things like, I can carry more stuff without taking penalties, mm. which matters because you're going to want a lot of weapon systems for a lot of interesting options. Um, Ammo is based on the number of times you attack with the weapon rather than the number of actual shots. So, right. you know, an assault rifle might have ammo four. That's not to say it has four bullets in it. That means it has four bursts. Um, right. Well, the so grunt... It's a practical amount of ammo. Yeah. The grunt, because they have good fire discipline, might be able to increase that amount of ammo. Mm. Um, That's kind of cool. As, as you get you into higher levels that. of archetypes, you can open up some abilities that have... Not every ability is going to be just directly combat, just directly numbers. Um, one of the there's another archetype called a scout. Um, each of the archetype, each of these archetypes has different ways of building it. One of the ways of building the scout is to be like a guerrilla fighter, and you can get an ability at I think it's rank three or so that allows you to blend into a crowd, even if there are people pursuing you. So it's like your ability to get lost in a friendly crowd, mm. um, which has a lot of non-combat options as well. Sure. Um, 
The Assassin's Creed ability, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, the Assassin's Creed ability, definitely. Um, We have three archetypes. There's an article, I think, that is already up on the community blog that goes into these a little more in depth. Um, We have three archetypes that are just based on you. We have the Grunt, the Scout, and the Pilot that are all just, you do this one type of thing, and then... Each time you level up, you get to pick one of three abilities. When you get to the level six, uh, you can pick one of three abilities from there, but it has to be, since these abilities are categorized, your level six ability will be tied to whichever of the paths you've been going down the most. Mm. So you don't have to min-max, you don't have to go entirely down one pathway, but you are encouraged to go down uh, one a little bit more. So we have the thanks. Uh, so we have those three that are just basic: the scout, grunt, and pilot. Uh, pilot is for any kind of vehicle that's will make you a good heavy gear driver. Could also make you a good APC driver, um, just as easily. And there's some things that have to do with vehicle weapon systems too. Mm-hmm. These things are not necessarily tied to weapon systems. So the grunt, for example, gets a lot of melee abilities that can work if you're on foot. That can work if you're in a heavy gear, just as easily because melee is the domain not the skill. So we built these to be usable for a lot of different narratives. So we have those three archetypes that are just like, if you don't want to do a lot of thinking and planning, you just pick this. When I level up, I get a new ability. I'm done. Uh, Below these, we have the mini game uh, mechanic based archetypes. We have a commander, duelist and techie. Um, The commander, if you've played heavy gear blitz, uh, they get command points. They can issue orders. As you level up, you get access to more command points and more orders. But at the start of each mission, you pick from your list of orders and say, these are the orders I have prepped. I can now spend command points on these. You have more orders potential than orders usable. Uh, Mm. It it can be similar to think of this as like a bard in D&D where you're going to be inspiring your Mm -hmm. uh, fellow players. Again, these abilities work in combat and out of combat, too. So while there may be some that are like, you know, bonuses to a weapon attack, there are others that might just benefit any skill. Um, We have the duelist that lets you build up momentum points. Momentum points can be spent. You get momentum points by doing cool things, succeeding at hitting people with attacks or doing, you know, cool flips with your gear or on foot. And then you spend momentum points to do attacks which generate momentum points. So you chain things together. And as you level up, you get more special moves to chain with. Um, And then we have the techie that picks a different kind of uh, mechanical equipment. They kind of get a gambling mini game. So what they can do is push something past its specs with experimental techniques. It was like a push your luck thing. Yeah, they get a bunch of extra dice. If those dice succeed, they go back into your pool and you can use them again. If those dice fail, they go away. If a number Mm. of those dice fail, you break the equipment. So you kind of get a, you you know, you have this difficult choice of like, okay, yeah, I can use all my dice on this low threshold thing. I'm always going to succeed. I'm going to do a great job, but I might, you know, just fail with a couple of them and I have (laughs) less money than, right? I might roll bad and then everything's exploded. Or, you know, like, Oh man, I have to I have to do this really hard thing. I've got to throw all my dice in, but now there's also a chance I'm gonna blow it up, which got exponentially higher. So it's kind of a risk reward strategy for mm-hmm. 
Um, and then below that, we have the team-focused. So the team is the group of characters. You have a team that works for a sponsor. Um, these archetypes provide bonuses to the team in general. So the caretaker, um, you would not be wrong to think that it's kind of like your healer type archetype. But uh, this edition of Heavy Gear differentiates between physical wounds and psychological wounds. So when you mm. take damage, you'll take it to system shock or shell shock. Um, so say your gear gets hit, you'll take, let's say you ended up taking two points of damage. That's not just going to be a two-point damage to your gear. It might be a one-point damage to your gear and a one-point damage to the pilot, a shell shock to them, because you're rattled because your gear just took a damn hit and you thought you were going to die, and now you're having to deal with the psychological damage. Um, you might be an artillery strike, and you might be totally fine, but take a huge penalty to your shell shock. Um, the caretaker, because they are kind of the repair person, as you're getting caretaker abilities, as you level up, you choose between repairing vehicles, fixing wounds, system shock, or fixing psychological damage, shell shock. Mm -hmm. None of this prevents you from doing all the other normal things that you would do as a character. So you can be like, I am the group's chaplain. I have all these things to give me shell shocks. That let me heal people's shell shock because I'm really good at dealing with their trauma. Also, though, I can just drive the gear as good as everybody else. I don't have to be a healer and sit in the back. I don't have to be a repair guy and sit in the back. I can still be totally good at fighting with the rest of the group, but I have these ways of, of um, Adding temporarily to the removing damage, patching things, repairing more effectively, or even giving people little temporary extra hit points effectively. Uh, and then finally, we have the fixer. The fixer is... For somebody who is a little more roleplay focused, um, the fixer gets bonus dice that they can add to any skill roll. Uh, at higher levels, the fixer gets some abilities that are narrative based, so they might have an easier time finding contacts than other characters. Mm. Um, at the higher level, the highest level, they get to once per session add a fact to a scene. So. They can be like, it could be something simple like, oh, we needed a rope. Well, guess what? I actually brought my rope because I always carry it in my uh, trunk. It can also be like, oh, yeah, well, you're, um, our whole team just got arrested by uh, a local marshal that has a vendetta against us. Well, that's a problem because I haven't have all this blackmail material that I've been holding close to my, close to my chest, and I will now reveal in the style of Columbo. <laughs> um, so it lets you do some fun narrative things gotcha. uh, and rewards you for kind of playing, uh, playing a character that's going to be focused on less combat and kind of just a more jack of all trades. Mm. Uh, we hope to add more archetypes as we go um, in future products. Right now, I think we got a pretty broad spread where we can, you can do almost anything. And again, this is a skill-based game, so you can have any skills and be this archetype. Obviously, like if you're gonna like go heavy into melee and be a grunt and just like punch stuff, you'll do that better as a grunt than you will as a, a caretaker. But right. you won't be so significantly better that there's no reason for a caretaker to also be good at melee. 
That's cool. Yeah, it's it's it seems like a really flexible system, um, which I like. Kind of like what you said, like less numbers, more playing. Yeah, more more narrative. We're trying to focus yeah. on having numbers so that you can have a solid system for things, but really encouraging people to be more narrative because that was definitely an issue with earlier heavy gear. It was very well constructed mathematically, but it was mostly numbers. Sure. Um, Anytime you engage in that, you're kind of taking you away from the narrative. A little bit away, yeah. Makes sense. Super cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much for telling us all about the RPG. It it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I want more time so I can play all the things. (laughs) This is one of them. (laughs) Come on, John. Just make more time for things. Just make more time. Yeah, just just do that, right? Quit my job and play games all day. <laughs> Engineer a solution. Yeah, exactly. It's, that's the re- that's the real way to handle it. Clearly. All right. Well, uh, before we take off the evening, I believe we have some some drawings and a painting contest to, to talk about. We do. It's true. Huzzah! All right. <laughs> Let's do the thing. All right. So uh, it's the end of a quarter. So thank you to all seven of the participants who sent in minis, uh, which we'll, yep. we'll talk about now. Um, the theme of the contest was veteran troop classification. So that's not the veteran skill. That's the little thing in the top right of the profile that says veteran. Um, so without further ado, I will get right into it. So this is in the order roughly of when I received them. It is not indicative of what we think is best or worst. Uh, it's literally just uh, I add stuff to the gallery as I get it. So, yeah. Uh, Perfect. Let's go do the thing. All right. So first up is Matthias and his uh, Mukhtar hacker. So if you've been paying attention to his previous entries, uh, he's definitely got this whole like succulent uh, or like rose theme going on with his um, – with his basing, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the, just to talk specifically about the base for right now, um, the Mokhtar hacker has this kind of like platform that they're standing on or crouching on, I guess, which kind of makes it a difficult basing scheme. But uh, just doing this sort of like pile of dirt plus a rose is a really nice solution to that. Um, yeah. Yeah, very nice. I like the... Uh... The gradient kind of going on with the face mask, the, mm-hmm. the white or red, yeah, is really, really cleanly done. This is a very good picture, uh, I guess, angle too as well. There's something really nice about how they've differentiated the various, uh, like the the bandolier or strap that goes across the chest mm-hmm. in this model. Um, very clean, uh, without being overly like, because sometimes you can make something like very contrasty, and it looks contrasty. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. And, and, and it's jarring and uncomfortable. But this is contrasty in uh it just looks correct. It it looks it looks yeah. like a like an actual human would it be. It feels very natural. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and the, the the basing is actually doing a lot towards calling that out more. You know, it's it's uh the the, the little rose on there providing that just a little bit more pop of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and echoing the the face mask too, right? It's the same yeah, same like pink red. Um, yep, the cloth and that hood is very nicely done. Yeah, very very clean. Uh, I love the weathering done on the on the uh, the legs, right? Yep. What would be actually really nice is uh, just a uh, just I don't know. Like I, I think it'd be interesting to see is like a 
like the hand, the hacker hand being covered in dirt, and then maybe like a handprint on the on the on the upper thigh. Right? Like wiping it off. Yeah, like that would be like a really nice touch. Uh, yeah. it, oh, I mean, I don't wipe the your hands in your pants. Things. Yeah, right. I mean, like you know, this is, uh, but yeah, very very well done. Uh, I love the, I just love the subtle colors, uh, how everything ties together. The green and the, uh, the kind of olive is a very nice contrast. Um, yeah, the gun is not just a black gun, as we often complain about. Uh, it's got just enough differentiation, but it's clear that it's not the the focus of it. I in this case, like I kind of do like that it 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 kind of blends in with the rest of the. It, it kind of like fades into the background. It's not it's not the sure. centerpiece, right? Like you want the eye to uh, your eye to be drawn to the face mask, and I think the the model does a very nice job of that. Uh, there's the the bit of uh, light that catches on the the edge of the cowl, right? That yeah. kind of mirrors the the highlight of the face mask, which is really nice as well. I will say one other thing they do really well here is they pull off a red and green paint scheme without looking Christmassy. Yes. yes. That is a hard that is a hard thing to do. And the reason why they're able to do it is because they play a lot with values. Mm-hmm. Right. So the greens come in. Yep. The greens are the 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 hood is a very desaturated green. Mm-hmm. And the saturated greens are kept very dark. Yep. So there's no like Kelly green, forest green. Yeah. To put next to that red that would just is you know send it into Christmas town. Yeah, right. All I want for Christmas is Mukhtar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they neatly avoided that. All right, we've got Mr. Steve here. Um, and this is the the I believe the Carhu Fuhrbach, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, very nice. Yeah, very well done. It is a little unsettling that I I mean I kind of like it. I love though. the eye. Yeah, I mean it's not a criticism. I, I think I think it lends that uh that kind of like otherworldly quality to the model, which I really mm-hmm. like. Um, great work on the Führerbach too. Uh, there's a lot of uh, shading in there that is, is pretty subtle. There's a little bit of bluing on the on the. Uh, I don't really know what you call that. It's kind of like the furniture of the gun. Yeah. Really, really nice. Yeah, um, it, it actually looks cold. Like it looks like it's yeah. in a cold environment. Yeah. Right. Like. Uh, I guess one of the things that would help push that a little bit more is a little bit more of white, maybe on the on the rock. Yeah, right. To really sell like there's a little bit of frost on there, but uh, yeah. It also work blues into the re- into the shadows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the saturated blue is really nice though. Yeah, uh, I mean it reads very pan, uh, which is which is good. Um, and I I love the, the brown, the, like the warm browns they chose for the uh, for the for the frill i guess the yeah the fur. It frames the, the fur. it frames the head nicely and lets you focus on on its one eye the one eye the monocular yeah that's all, yeah. That's all it needs um and we've got neil with the uh this is the kurgat right the kurgat autocannon yeah and this is a model that i i really liked it it feels very painterly yeah um, yeah that was, that's what i was gonna say just, too yeah that's probably a kick that i'm just Writing a high of right now because the uh, because those express paints let me paint in a very painterly way, mm-hmm. um, but I really like it. Like it almost looks like a uh, like it's run through a filter, a little bit. I like also love like the a... uh, this is a great angle to see this. Um, oh, apparently this is a Surrey HRL maybe. Yeah, what'd you say? Um, I start at Kurgat. 
I don't know. Oh, I, no, I yeah. still have trouble doing uh, my more identifications. But I, I love the uh, the alien text on the on the. I guess yeah, the very nicely poster. done. Yeah, yeah, very subtle. I, it's also good because here you can see the different colors that are mm -hmm. used in that armor. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the the yellow oranges for the highlights. The the low lights go into some deep reds and browns. Yep. Yeah, the first time that I saw this, I, I passed over it. I was like, okay, it's a little muddy or whatever. And then I went back. I'm like, oh, actually, it's not muddy. It's actually just very, very carefully shadowed. Yep. Yeah. Um, especially like the 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 white of the beard is really doing a lot of work to just call you in to realize like actually there's a lot going on with the armor on this. Yeah. There's a lot going on with the skin. Oh. Yeah, that white beard with a little bit of a pink hue to it. Yeah, it's yeah. almost it's almost a purple in the recesses, which I really enjoy. Yeah, uh, and then there's the very subtle like like the the green eyepiece on I guess over the right eye of the Suryat there. Yep. Yeah, really really nice. The um the I, texture I, on the cloth is fun. Yep. I I think I think the the armor the armor plates are are the real the real winners here. Uh, just the the really nice like shading there. It's been done. And then, uh, and again, the basing is really contributing to the model too. Mm -hmm. And the big, I mean, like you know, this is not a requirement, and we don't, we certainly don't uh, ask uh, the judges to pay attention to the models in the background. But it is nice to see, you know, like in, in context with the with the other models in the mm -hmm. army, to sort of show that like there's a cohesive color scheme going on here, right? Uh, it's, it's mostly just uh, for for our pleasure, and certainly not for judging. Um, but yeah. the the big the big choppa, I guess, is the easiest way to describe it. Is really nicely sure. done too. That feels very. Uh, it's like it feels very metallic in a way that isn't an MM, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like just... that's that's not metal, but it's something that's a lot like metal. Whatever it is, this alien tech that's being used. Yeah, and was... I I don't want to get hit with it. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. Yeah. Uh, all right, then we got uh, uh, Nicola, uh, aka Nico R, with their Tiger Soldier. Oh, sorry, this is a uh, yeah. is this the Tiger? This is the Lu Zhang hacker. I the think. Lu Zhang. Yeah, yeah. They look so similar with the with the jump pack. Uh, yeah, great orange scheme uh, without being like overly yellow, um, which is nice. Yeah, I definitely like the yellow oranges. You can really see actually in the wrist of the handling the shotgun. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of really nice work, like tonal shifts there between yeah. Brands. I I think I think it's important to yeah. That's a really good point. Let's right? see if I can zoom in. Maybe all right. So the the uh, the JavaScript will let me do it. But uh, there's some really nice shadowing in there that I think is very well done. Um, yeah. I mean, it's something that might ele elevate this model a little bit more is uh, pushing the contrast on the base a little bit more, right? So yeah, it's I all kind it of. I think the base probably still has some work to do. Um, yeah. A second coat of the green at the front. The very sure. Least sure. Some I was going to talk specifically to about like the what are, like the rebar thing that's sort of protruding from the base. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like landing on or whatever. Uh, the edge highlighting is very good. Um, very clean. It can also go to run out of time, you know. Sure. I mean, like base even 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 just sort of like tying this into a very desaturated brown on the base, like some dirt. Yeah. I think would would. Uh, Go a long way to sort of tie this together. One of the really nice uh, things about this is how subtle they've done the, um, I guess the rib shoulder plate. I guess is probably the easiest way to describe mm -hmm. it. That's like the design motif that you see on like the Dao, the Dao Yang, right? Also the Lu Jing. Um and it's not, uh, it's not too poppy, but it also 
just like ties together the model very nicely. Well, it's nice to break nice to break it up because if it was yep. more yes, orange, it was probably all orange everywhere. Yeah, I mean, like I yeah. mean, if it was all orange, it would look like somebody just sort of like you know hit it with a rattle can. <laughs> It'd be kind of sad, but no, it's really nice. Uh, same same statement can be made about the um, the the cabling and the, the the thigh and knee area, which is very nice. Yeah. Um, one one but, thing that might be interesting to try maybe is, for example, on like the slide of the shotgun. You can paint it with a different shade of dark gray or black. Just use a different like pot uh, of paint from a different shade, maybe from a different uh, manufacturer, and that would help sort of break that up a little bit without being uh, too contrasty. But like some subtlety yeah. there would be nice. You could you could see that well from the rear. Okay. Um, it, it has. Let me see. Like, oop. Uh, so uh, there we go. Here we go. You know where there's, <coughs> excuse me, there's kind of more colors going on here mm -hmm. that breaks up the orange a little more interestingly yeah there's probably like two or three different shades in the backpack and then the backpack being a different shade from the guns J just having yeah a couple more colors on there would break up the orange a little bit more mm -hmm. and when the orange is broken up you can then see the highlighting on the orange rather than just seeing it as an orange sure sure yeah sense. Uh, i want to call attention while we're looking at this i want to call attention to like the like the things on the back of the helmet, which is very nicely done. Like you could have yeah. just left that as orange, yeah. but I, I really do appreciate that. I mean, you know, you, you put it in the, like the gray or silver highlights there. Um, it really does help sell the fact that it is a helmet uh, made a different material. Um, and I, I think that's a, one interesting way to approach painting these models is sort of thinking about what materials goes into manufacturing these suits of armor. Um, and I think this person has done a really, really nice job of doing that. So kudos to them. All right. Let's see. Oh, and then we've got uh, uh, some more of Jordan's O12 with the uh, yeah. The, uh, what is it, the emergency lighting, so to speak? God, that's so cool looking. Very <laughs> cool. It's like it's really fun. Jordan, I think he knows what I'm going to say. I wish that the lights, especially in the uh, the first photo, where you can see um, a lot of these additional little reds. Poking through in the in the dark areas on the on the um, on the models left or right on the models left shoulder yeah and left arm mm -hmm. uh, I wish those would have poked would I want those to be as bright as the highlight on the top of the helmet oh like, sure yeah because that's that's really catching pop. that's catching the light coming from the models right or left yeah yeah. He's yeah, I, want, I want those to, to really pop in the darkness. Yeah, I mean, like Jordan did it on the uh, on the models. Most of that would be the left. I keep reversing the left directions. The left foot. The gun is particularly well well done too. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is just such a cool concept. It's very like a manga sort of. Yeah, book. and I I think I think it's, it, it, you know, one one of the problems with this, and, and it's not a criticism uh, at all. It's. It's like it's very difficult to execute because it only really works from a particular angle, right? Like if you look at this, it just looks kind of looks kind of odd, right? You know yeah, I mean? yeah. And the the other three angles actually, I think, look pretty solid. I would say yeah. that this is. I think that the 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 lit side is the side that needs the most work, and I might just drive down the deep blacks of the shadows a bit. Um, you can even go to a dark red instead of a black. Oh, for the shadows there. Okay. Um, and that might help. Well, that sort of decreases the sad, the the contrast, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's too contrasty. Um, I see. Okay. By 
by bringing down the contrast a bit on this side, yeah. it lets you. It actually gives you more room to play with shadows because you could still have some really deep recent oh, black I areas. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Because right now, <laughs> right now, if you look at like the distribution, you're very bimodal, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So having having more areas that, that play in that dark red before getting too black uh, might be nice, and then that'll also let you make the areas even if you can't. So like this is a trick where even if you can't paint, like because this is like black lined. Mm -hmm. Even if you can't paint a thin black line, by using a less contrasting value, you actually make it appear smaller. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll make those areas feel more finely uh, black lined than they are. Um, because honestly, I think the other three angles are like nailing it. Other than just yeah. making oh, those like... Oh yeah, like this is fantastic. This is I think my, favorite, my favorite view of the model. Yeah. Not just because, you know, badass but it's, it's it's just it's just really nice because yeah, because you have you have like the the triangle fold of the fabric right so like the right side here is catching the red the left side is catching the blue or green um yeah that rembrandt lighting right there yeah i mean honestly like one of the one of the one of the things i most appreciate about uh jordan's continued submissions is they're all this right various o12 models in this paint scheme in this in this idea uh, it's fun watching to, progress. Yeah, it's so cool, right? Like getting to see this through line over multiple quarters. Uh, thank you so much, Jordan, for for sharing this with us. I'm I'm really uh, really touched that you 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 know chose to, to specifically do this and share. I'm gonna be sad when they're out of O12. I mean, you know, that just means CBS to make more O12 models, right? right there you go. <laughs> Problem but, solved. Yeah, because that. The the two the two bottom photos are just yeah this is so fire cool. this is great too what a great view so cool yeah I mean really I think I think you're right though I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it which is that if you push the red highlights here I mean you can probably see it better from this angle just a little bit a little bit brighter like almost to that like edge highlight there yeah the is wiggling. those little red lights mm -hmm. they're kind of like glowing at you in the dark yeah because it's it's a raised area that's just like tall enough to hit to get hit by the red. Well, no, I think those little spe the little specks are uh, they're lights. Are they? Yeah, because they he uses the same colors on the helmet on the uh, on the other image, the bottom right image. Mm. You can see the the helmet little eyeballs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So if they were just a little bit brighter to read as light sources, it would look really damn cool. Oh, this is really really good though. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I like that. I like the constant improvement. Yeah, I mean, just seeing the through line is so wonderful. Okay, then we we're on to uh, to Simon and um, oh god, why am I blanking on the name? Alpha Seed. There we go. Yep, nailed it. <laughs> it looks like an Alpha Seed. Very solid. That's what, that's what it uh, is. <laughs> like really excellent work on the blocking in the colors mm -hmm. um, and giving them a you know a bit of a shadow, a bit of a highlight. Um, yeah the uh like the almost almost tile mosaic work on the on the backpack there yep exactly nice. and then they also pre-handed the uh the symbol on the chest yep yep yeah i thought that was i thought that was like molded in and i had to look at mine and i was like wait a minute that's not there <laughs> yeah uh i i do like the choice on the um on the belt right because you could have gone with a sort of like a drab metallic there and just sort of like did a little bit of like dry brushing to sort of 
like take advantage of the built-in texture but i i, I do like the uh the red brown there yeah the That's copper nice. brown worked out well mm-hmm. uh, something about this scheme has like a 90s comic book angle yeah i think i think specifically what that. it is is the knuckles for me oh sure right like it's built in built in big brass knuckles like it's coming for you yeah. the heavy pistol are gonna smack you in the face it's really nice yeah all right and then on to uh pewter artisanal right so this is a yeah. grenzer um excellent work big contrasts i think it really works on the grenzer model grenzers are so cool right because they're i guess it's they're so spooky yeah like the you, there's so much uh so much opportunity to explore OSL with the with the sort of like recessed eyes of the Grenzer, and I think he did a great job here, right? And then of course yeah, the backpacks have all like nomads have all this like uh, wonderful opportunity to have like you know glow effects and stuff, and he's always delivered here. I and think then, yeah, I think the back here is really strong. Um, oh, the back, can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where you can really see a lot of the gradation in the red, mm-hmm. where it goes from the lighter reds closer to the shoulders to this kind of. Um, darker red in the the bottom center there. Yep, um, that's really nice. The highlights on there are really fun. I think that they they really nailed the the back of the cloak, um, and yep. probably need to spend a bit more, just probably just a bit more time on the front to bring it around. But it's really solid. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, I think probably a... that's that might be the issue, right? The big blue blotches on the uh, on the chest there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and think it's, that... it's hard to tell if that's camera. Is not picking something up, maybe, or if there just needs to be a little possible. Yeah, like the the cloak is done so well that it kind of makes some of the armor plating feel flat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to see that same highlighting brought to the armor. Yeah, I do like the. uh, uh, Is that the best angle? Yeah, here we go. The uh, the little bit of yellow highlighting on the on the flamethrower on the combi there. That's really nice too. I really appreciate that. Yeah, because that's not sculpted in. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, that's that's the last entry. Thank you to everybody who's entered. Um and, you know, uh I guess we can we can uh without further ado announce that uh Neil uh, aka McManus has has won the uh the judges favor this quarter and uh they'll be they'll be getting an email from me asking for what uh what they what they want in terms of blisters as well as uh the um monstrous makings uh commission so thank awesome. you to, congratulations thank you, thank you to everybody uh for for submitting and especially thank you for for neil for sharing his uh his wonderful work um but everybody gets the chance to win something even if you uh you know don't consider yourself the strongest painter but really just having painted minis is is the real magic of the whole thing so uh we, we welcome submissions from all skill levels Everybody gets to gets to win a thing. So let's go ahead and see who uh, gets the, another another uh, blister from Shiv Games, and it's going to be Nicola. So congratulations. congratulations to them. I will be in touch, and we will we will get you the thing shipped to you from Shiv Games. Very cool. Let's let's hit the thing. Well, you've wasted another perfectly good evening listening to late night board. Oh man. I unplugged it. You I did can't it. it. You did that, the wrong thing. It. It's all right. It was still so audible. It all worked out. Perfectly good evening, listening to late night war. All game. right, all right. Just do it again. Doing it again. Fine, <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh, I'm taking it away. All right. Well, 
If you want to talk to us about stuff, you can hit us up at mailbag at networkgames.com with questions, comments, fan mail, and so on. Uh, I do want to talk about, uh, really quickly, Grizzly Troll asked me um, about recording uh, a, an Infinity game um, and seeing, you know, like, what, what kind of equipment you, you need to use. Uh, honestly, it depends on what you want to get out of the, the experience and, like, he specifically wants to record games to post them online and ask for feedback as to like how to improve. Um, and for that, I think pictures would work fine. Uh, just cell phone video would work fine. Um, mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing that I would suggest is don't get bogged down in the, the gear you need. Everybody listening to this probably has an, like a, you know, an iPhone or an Android phone, right? You have a smartphone, just record the game with that thing and see what happens, right? And then you'll learn what you need, what you like, what you don't like, and if this process works for you, or you just, you know, handle it with a with a text battle report. Um, but anyway, yep, so that's my that's my two cents there. So I just want to touch on that with the uh, the mailbag section. Um, of course, if you want to play uh, Infinity Games and have some sort of structured structured prompt for that, you can hit, hit up Bromet Academy. We've got our doctors and engineers and, I guess, paramedics painting contest through the end of quarter two, 2023. Um, we're here every uh, first and third Tuesday of the month on Twitch at 8.30 p.m. Pacific. We upload everything to uh, YouTube and your favorite podcast apps the following day. Uh, tomorrow morning at 7.15 a.m. Pacific time, we'll be... In, in, in roughly eight hours from now, we'll be doing this again! Yeah, woo! With uh, Hoopoo from, uh, from Corvus Belly, who's going to talk to us all about Worker Adventures. I'm really excited. Um, and then we'll figure out what we're doing after that. That'll be good. Um, you know, if you, if you like what we do, you want to become a late night war gamer and support us on Patreon, you get access to our special Discord sections. Um, but yeah, it'll be a good time. Uh, and without, you know, without further ado, thank you yep. to our sponsors, DreamPod9, Shiv Games, Corvus Belly, Board and Brew in Brutal Cities. Yeah, anything you want to plug? Uh, there's a Kickstarter happening, if you haven't heard. Oh, in three days, is it? Real real soon. April in 7th. three days for Heavy Gear 4th Edition. Um, I have an Etsy store. If you do uh, costuming, Fallout, or post-apocalyptic costuming, you could find me at Barter or Die, all one word, at Etsy. Awesome. Um, and I'm always looking for games on the rare chance that I can get a game in. So uh, always reach out on Discord if you are in the Portland area. Hooray! Right on. Well, uh, yep, everyone else, be sure to catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and follow us on Twitch and YouTube. All of this, all of this helps us bring you the best content that we possibly can. All right, well, stay safe out there. We'll see you in like eight hours. Yeah, see you in eight hours. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Oh, my God, what are we doing? <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, 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 uh. Won't you play games with me? And I like to do everyone. That's what I like to do. That's what I like to do. That's what I really like to do. That's what I really like to do.